podcast i as usual am matt i sometimes am john i often am steve figure qualifiers are important this week yeah why not i mean we haven't had them in a while so you know change it up i have a gamer tag sometimes i'm called that that sometimes you are called that although i'm not releasing although is that that a qualifier or is that a pseudonym it's a pseudonym but also a qualifier that your brother stole on facebook no that's actually a family nickname oh okay uh, actually, my dad and his dad both have had that nickname. Awesome. Don't worry, it, don't worry, Internet. not going to be announced. If you, if you no. private message me, I'll give you John's gamer tag on Xbox. Nice. No, no. actually, only if you want to raid. <laughs> right. That's yeah, okay. Right. okay. I always uh, need raid group. Screwed. Um, before we uh, get into this week's album, which I picked, um, I have some stuff to promote, which I haven't had in a while. Um, as we get closer to the end of March... Um, Everyone's favorite drunk holiday, well, actually more in the middle of the month, St. Patty's Day is coming up, and every year the Wasties, who have been guests both individually and as a group on this podcast many a time, are having their annual two-hour set at the Way Station where they play all your favorite drinking hits and then some. Um, Steve will also be excited to know that they are working towards this December finally doing a full December Decemberist set. Oh boy! Because they've covered many December songs. A full set, and so it's all going to be December songs in the December. entire night. In December, yeah. yeah. Um, they but get the rights for that out of curiosity. What? I mean, it's one thing if it's you're a just cover like show. covering a couple of songs. No, but that, covering that's fair game. Covering stuff live is fair game. It's only if you're selling it. The performance is free. Yeah. That's mm. true. They're actually they're actually selling the December's music. Yeah, saying, yeah. Go buy them. You like these songs? They're not ours. They're theirs. Um, mm. So that's coming up on March seventeenth, uh, which is of course St. Patty's Day. Please go see them if you're in the New York area. I will be there. So if you'd like to meet me, I will also be there. I'm not that exciting, but you know, you might as well come out. You get to see them drunk. But- uh, hopefully, hopefully, probably not. Actually, why I not? I haven't been drinking. I know. It's so um, sad. Um, but yeah, definitely go check them out. And then I am hosting an event with old friends of the show, Head Over Fields, Sage and Kim. Um, we are hosting a marathon of the new X-Files season at the Way Station Sunday, March 20th. Um, so we can get, well, you can all get wasted and be confused with this season like the rest of us. Just out of curiosity, have you seen it yet? I've seen two or three episodes, but I haven't watched the full se- season is it, yet. Is it any good? I mean, I like it. The first episode first episode felt very X-Files, and what was cool is it's marketed as the 10th season, and the intro is the same intro from, like, a decade ago. Okay, then there's so, hope. But, um, but the first episode was pretty good. Second episode, not so much. Third one, I was more on board, but I haven't finished it yet. I'll finish it before the 20th, but if you want to come out and discuss X-Files and watch them in a binge variety, please come out on the 20th to the way station. Um, if you're not in New York and still want to come then make travel accordingly now, I guess. But enough about me. I mean, I could talk about me all day. Yeah, I know. We've heard it before. But I'm sure you guys don't want to talk about me all day. I mean, unless you do, because we could. You have autographs for that. That's true. (laughs) That's less about me. Where other guests interview you. (laughs) That's only happened once, and that episode has not been released yet. So, spoilers. Uh, But anyway, I digress quite a bit. Um, I want to get into the album I picked for this week, because the reason I picked the band... 
is for two personal reasons. One, which John's going to hate me for, is... Uh, I'm plugged. Uh, you're plugging your ears? Yeah. Is I'm going to see Weezer in July. Um, Molly from The Wasties was awesome enough to get me a ticket to that show and um, when they went on sale. And so I'm going to that show, and they are double headlining with Panic at the Disco, who I've never seen before. Or Panic at the Disco, because there's an exclamation point after Panic. Yeah, I got you. Um, and I ha- am familiar with some of their music, but not a ton of it. And so I wanted to investigate more, because I've heard good things about their newest album. Um, my familiarity with Panic of the Disco is more on a personal level. I was very much obsessed in the late aughts to the early teen aughts. How do you... How teens. Do we, teens? is just the 20 the teens. teens. The yeah. 20 teens? Yeah, you don't... Otherwise, it would be the teen zeros. That's not the that way it works. Sense. Um, in, the, in the 20 teens, I, with Rock Band, which I played a lot of. I bought a lot of songs. And on the original Rock Band disc, one of the songs on, on the original disc itself was a song... Um, Nine in the Afternoon by Panic at the Disco. And I loved playing that song, singing that song, doing drums, guitar. It was a versatile song for just having fun on the instrument because it wasn't overly complex until you got to expert mode and then it was just fun and nutty. I didn't like five buttons. I don't. I only have four <laughs> fingers. I didn't like five buttons. The thumb can also be a finger. You have to no, shift, No, it's not though. a finger. It's a digit. There's a That's difference. actually the moment in which you can potentially, despite the fact that there's been a lot of uh, people that disagree with this entirely, that rock band should be a nice segue into actually learning the guitar. But if you're gonna try actually shifting a fret ooh, yeah, is know. probably a good start. Um, and so I re- remember that song fondly in Rock Band. And so I was like, well, I like that song. I've heard a couple of other songs. I'm gonna see them in a few months. I should at least know what the hell they're all about. In my mind, they were mostly just another Fallout Boy. I didn't really know a lot about them, and I knew the lead singer kind of sounded like the lead singer Fallout Boy. So that's kind of where I was with them. But you that's- know, I figured. I haven't brought an obnoxious pop record on in a while, so let's do it. It's kind of where I was was with them. Uh, to be honest, uh, the Weezer comparison. I mean, it's not really a comparison. It just happens to be the two shows that are that are at that event. Um, but it's an interesting pairing because I feel like it it does speak to maybe what fans of '90s Weezer would perhaps like if they had to take a pick out of 2000s into 20 teens music. That maybe Panic at the Disco would exemplify that, for instance. It's a fair assessment, I think. Um, and so I'm going this mostly off of like a few people that do happen to have that particular progression. Um, no, no, I, so. I stayed away from Panic. Well, yeah, we're not talking panic, about huh? we're, yeah. not, we're not talking about you. Well, some, we got to talk about you. I could talk about me. Nobody wants to talk about you. Oh, that's oh. true. Oh. Um, but so the album I picked is, <laughs> of course, Death of a Bachelor, which I picked because, again, it, it was in the vein of something I might have liked like a decade ago with Fall Out Boy, which wasn't even my pick. And so figure explore that route and see if maybe this is better. Um, you know, and also we've sort of covered this singer before at least because he worked on the project The Young Veins, which yeah. Steve brought you brought on there. Yes, podcast, I brought right? on in episode nine, believe it or not. Oh, it was episode that nine. That is insanely long ago. And actually even then it was we didn't have the rule yet of doing albums that are mainly within the year or the previous yeah. year, so I believe that album was actually from twenty ten. And which it was a was, side yeah. project of Brendan Urie and one of the other guys. And they uh, they were they went from panic to deciding to do this like sixties surf rock style band that, that wasn't sampled at all. It was just it was they genuinely tried to make unique songs that feel like they could have been released at the time. And I think they did a pretty good job with it. Um, 
But it does say that I guess these these guys they can dip into a lot of genres, and I think that's always what separated them from Fallout Boy from my perspective sure. as of like the mid two thousands when they were constantly make it, the, the comparison was being made that they were being pretty much in the same exact ballpark. Yeah. And it's it's interesting because I think it's really only for one reason that they are put in the same ballpark, and I think it's the voice. It's the singer. Brendan Urie really sounds a lot like the lead singer of Fallout Boy. They kind of sing like the way Dane Cook speaks in his comedy <laughs> acts. If that if that is Wow, a Dane Cook reference. See, yeah. kids, back in my day, oh, Dane Cook was a comedian. It's the aughts. This is not your day. Was he really the aughts? It feels so long ago. Oh, it was the aughts. Because people turned oh, on him really quick. It was the aughts. Yeah, he was very it was he burned brightly and briefly yeah very briefly alliteration uh, then again it has been it has been mentioned this is a, a minor tangent that really <laughs> the only reason that happened was one of the first uh, cases of runaway social media that it wasn't because yeah. his com- comedy necessarily tanked or anything it's because someone somewhere decided that he was going to be unpopular and so therefore he was yeah and well that, it was it's scary predictions to things that have happened recently as well the the darker side of social media uh but I digress. Um, when it comes to Panic at the Disco, it's not like they ever lost a uh, fan base because Fall Out Boy never stopped being popular. Therefore, Panic at the Disco never stopped being popular. And back to the, the distinction that I make between the two bands, I feel that Panic at the Disco always was able to turn um, a, a safe radio radio play song into something that at least broke outside its boundaries a little bit. Mm-hmm. They are genre jumpers, just as I was saying with the Young Veins case. Uh, that project is a case of jumping genres to something you never would expect would have come out of the core sound of Panic at the Disco, which is often more difficult to pin down than I think most people would believe. Uh, But we're going to try to sift through that in this album because there's a lot of cases of genre jumping here as well. So let's dive right into the first track, though, Victorious, which is the second single from the record um, and the only song I think I had heard prior to listening to the record for the show. Um, And it starts with a chant... Chorus. It thing. starts with "Ring Around the Rosy." Sort it, of. It is almost feel like it's being sung by like children or something, or yeah. at least teenagers. Well, There's a high pitched nature to it, and kind of a whine. Yeah, let's, it's let's, not really pleasing it. to the ear. No. Tonight we are victorious. Champagne uh. pouring over us. I mean, it's it it's, has the, it's yeah. done that exact way. It's Very reminiscent childish. to me of a thing that My Chemical Romance often did to emulate like high school angst is incorporate younger voices into a section or chanty moment in the track here. Plus, it's how it starts, and then... Plus clapping. Don't forget the clapping, which I won't do on air, because that'll peak the microphone a little bit too much. It's it's childish, and I'm, I'm already turned off by it, because I don't like mm. this. It's, uh, it's one element, and it doesn't last for very long, but I God. do I do see, understandably, why I think it would turn a lot of people off. It did yeah. turn me off, in a sense, because it, it struck me of people who really can't sing, but they've got the spark, and they've got the energy, and the, the certain something that is just supposed to rouse you up for this album. It's the only uh, reason I could think that it was used. Um, but then, in the background, this hum starts to build, and then, finally, it explodes into the relatively brief hook of O-O-O, Victorious, yeah. and a lot of that O's, which... Always an Oz and words that don't mean anything that, that are thrown in here. But whatever. It's a placeholder for I mean, a melody. I mean, instrumentally, the song kicks up a notch and it gets very intense. You know, loud, in-your-face kind of pop rock, which we come to expect from bands like this. Yeah, everything is high energy, pretty yeah. much, throughout this entire song. But the guitar has a good riff going on here. Uh, it, while the drums are yeah. a little bit too heavy and ponderous for my taste. That was the first thing that really it did does, dr- yeah. draw me in. It was sort of this funky guitar pattern um, that I, I, I immediately jumped on board with because, you know, funk. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's kind of this like one-e and a two and 
and one e n and two and n. It just kind of runs the, runs up and down, and it's like the the the. the the grounded point for the rest of the track. It's like the part you can latch onto no matter what he's singing, no matter what's going on in the background, at least you have that little guitar riff to just kind of get your shoulders moving despite the fact that you weren't really intending to do that, but suddenly now you are. What I really like about that line of guitar work also is it feels very electronic because um, they do dabble with electronic tones and sounds in their work, and we'll get more of that later, but here it reminded me of like a lot of the music in the Mega Man games, because Mega Man games, even though they had set only several tones to work with, they made really intricate and interesting music, and a lot of the rise and fall of the quote-unquote guitar work in those Mega Man MIDI tracks resemble something like this. It was really present in the rhythm guitar, the one mm -hmm. that wasn't playing the riff, the one that was more just trying to toe the line with the bass and the percussion. Mm -hmm. It comes across as very, very alternative rock, very pop rock, just See, in I don't, I, don't, I wouldn't put level. alternative to it. Alternative just implies that there's really more going on here. I think it's just pop. I think it's really more, it's, it's unquestionably pop rock, but it's like 60% pop and 40% and rock um, because you know what it's really set out to do. It's not really rocking you out. It's more just kind of chanting you out. There's a lot of stuff that goes back to. and then of It's course, a rally, uh, yeah, essentially. The, the theme, I think, really stands by that even more. Tonight we are victorious, champagne pouring over us. Um, What's interesting is that when it comes to the lyrics here, it, it is it is a rally and it feels like it's 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 pumping you up to go to a party, but it has also a lot of confidence here. Mm -hmm. It's got the attitude of rock, but at the same time it seems it's always referring to us. It's not like I, the individual, which I feel is what rock is more about. It's more about the, all of us as a whole, which is yeah. a more pop thing. Um, just by relating in that one sense, that makes it pop because then you feel like, oh, he's talking about me too. And that's where you get your billions of listeners. Well, it's designed to bring you in, and the song as a whole does that. I mean, to be fair, there are a couple times here in which he definitely does refer to himself. For, the, for instance, the stanza, I'm like a scarf trick. It's all up the sleeve. I taste like magic. Waves that swallow quick and deep. Throw the bait, catch the spark, bleed the water red. Fifty words for murder, and I'm every one of them. My touch is black and poisonous. And nothing like my punch-drunk kiss. I know you need it. Do you feel it? Drink the water, drink the wine. And I do Kind of, so it is kind of personal here, but at the same time, it this is a lot of that that braggadocio, as you usually say, Matt. This is um, I like how he sings this. This is where his vocals really do come across to me because of how the the speed at which he sings. You just have to pull back and say that is at least impressive. And he specifically does that at the last half of that verse. Um, I know you need it. Do you feel it? Drink the water. Drink the wine. And he goes up to this really high note, and then cue the 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 hook. Tonight we are victorious. Champagne pouring over us, and all the other you know pop rouse you tricks. It's interesting. It's interesting just from the vocal standpoint, that alone. Well, I think also what makes the song interesting is that it doesn't, you know, these things come and go and it doesn't overstay its welcome. It's fairly concise. It's uh, 2.59, so just barely under three minutes. And, you know, for a single and for an intro and for a, a pop song, all these things work well together, at least, in the fact that they don't get repetitive or boring because they're brief. Even like simple musical tricks like he would pull in the verses for instance, mm -hmm. like before this, um, when he just sings through the verses, there's like this he's falling down the chromatic scale which always makes me feel like things are deteriorating around him, which is why I thought it was an odd choice for this track, considering the rest of it is all high energy atmosphere. It's like, really, is anything deteriorating? Um, except perhaps the idea that 
he's living like a washed up celebrity as he says which maybe means there's a little bit of self-awareness that this is not entirely rousing or it is at least it, it, it's kind of the sad rousing maybe I mean somewhere I in the back of my mind I feel like they've always been kind of self-aware he's always been self-aware it's hard, it, it's, it's hard to imagine anyone could not be self-aware when writing these lyrics yeah for sure well it's, it's almost like he's talking about being vapid like everything is just skin exactly. deep here and that is an interesting kind of message to get across in a first track. I mean, it does uh, promote the idea that eventually we're going to get into some depths. If you're starting Vapid uh, and you don't continue that in the next track, we actually do shy away from it. But here, it's 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 a good setup, but also it's not the most endearing setup for an album for who, me. Who actually says? Because who actually says that? Like all my friends, we're glorious. We are glorious. That's a that's a high. Uh, it's a high thing to say about yourself. Um, champagne pouring off over us. Whoever, whoever does that, except in movies. Uh, I don't know. I was gonna actually start you had, naming. You have no, no, no. Manic I was gonna start naming. You? I was gonna start naming, naming movies. movies. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Yeah, you got a, a good point there. It's 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 only skin deep. And in the next track, yeah. "Don't Threaten Me with a Good Time," I thought this track was going to be just as skin deep because right away we get Rock Lobster and. I was worried. So it samples Rock Lobster, the guitar chord specifically, in the very beginning, which is, of course, a song by the B-52s. And this immediately flashed me back to Uma Thurman by Fall Out Boy and its shitty surf rock sample of the Munsters theme, except it just played it on loop, unoriginally smushed in there here. It's funny, our brains went the same exact yeah, place yeah. with this, which doesn't just go to the fact that, yes, Fall Out Boy has been compared to Panic! at the Disco and Vice versa, but, but also because we, we did review Panic! Uh, excuse me, Fall Out Boy's <laughs> American Beauty, American Psycho in episode 138, and it was, yeah, it had that track, and we all had the same reaction with it, because we loved the Monsters theme, and they sampled it, and they 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 just they reworked the sample into their song that was... But the it, sample it just looped. It didn't yeah. do anything. It didn't really do much. Here we get through maybe one full rotation of the guitar work from Rock Lobster and then he builds on it or adds something to it. The sample doesn't play alone for very long whereas it looped on that Fall Out Boy song and I think that alone immediately pulled me in because like, oh, they're taking a song I like and doing something at least a little interesting. Well, I agree with that but I'm saying that one other reason in which I was brought back to that was because of the surf rock idea. Yes. Like, in the same way that the Munsters theme is kind of of the era of surf rock comes yeah. out of that, then so is the B-52s, interestingly, as a new wave band because yeah. they use a, a, a not a sample, but they, they worked in this riff that is very surf rock because yeah, a lot absolutely. of new wave bands were into doing that. So you still land at the same place, um, but they definitely, the Panic that is, definitely takes you someplace completely different. Um, it's Especially, just used for transitions and, yeah. the, and the core hook, the rest of the track, you'd never even really know. Yeah. The fact that first verse as it steps in becomes just a piano slow drum piece uh, at least that's how it starts and we get some fairly typical builds into it when clapping steps in when a little bit of guitar work steps in you kind of expect them because oh it's been two lines let's go on to the next piece it's been two lines well we've already done this then this is the next natural piece uh -huh. but it is a nice understated build a nice little burn that isn't wowing me but is definitely putting me at ease what I, was, what I thought was interesting about these verses where you just have the, the piano vocal duo um, is that it actually kind of referred back to the same thing they did in the first track with this little chromatic progression. Only this time the piano is falling downward um, and not the vocals. His vocals actually are just as dynamic as I guess they were in the first track during the choruses. Um, 
but I liked little bits of layering, and I think this is what really made it stand out uh, as a track that doesn't just use samples. It's because in these verses, um, about like the second half, the second stanza that is, they bring in the bass to double the piano as, as it does the same thing. It also goes down the chromatic scale, and it was just kind of neat. It felt like it was progressing, like John said, a little bit more naturally. And then when you are thrown back to the Rock Lobster hook after that, it was like, oh, this, this makes a little more sense, and it doesn't, it's not, it's not just grating to my ears, it doesn't feel feel lifted yeah but each of these layers are very simple the piano can be played one-handed the drum could be played one-handed nothing is really doing any sort of wow factor and i'm waiting for some sort of build to something grand but when the chorus finally steps in it's not a build so much as a jump right to wall of sound yeah i'm gonna agree there in the pre-choruses and the choruses i i also found the melody sort of boring uh, and the background, there is a wall of sound, it's kind of cacophonous. Um, but the, the the stuff behind that, though, is it, it's a pretty neat, like, party breakdown. I kind of like the, the, the high-speed nature of the drum in the background, the bass in the background. I think it was more just the melody that made me, I was, I was so not into the melody, which meant I didn't have a specific... Uh, component of the of the chorus that I could like hone in on, n not no spotlight, and that made it seem more like a wall of sound in contrast to the verses, which were like I said more tasteful. Well, yeah, I mean the verse to me emotionally felt way more intimate. Like he's singing yes. a little more quietly and more to you, and it felt more sincere. And then once the chorus comes around, it gets large and loud and feels almost a lot more insincere and kind of disjointed. Well, it introduces a problem on this album uh, that remains an issue is that I, I like when he, as a vocalist, he can reach these amazing heights, these amazing peaks, because he has he has a lot of, he has some pipes. He can really belt it. Chutzpah. Yes, chutzpah. That, that's a great word for this. But the funny thing is that chutzpah only goes so far. It reach, It has like a little plateau. <laughs> yeah. because, and that you will normally find that in the choruses, which, well, you'll normally find that in any track in the choruses. But in this particular case, it seems to be the same height every chorus, every track which means that each chorus is not really going to introduce something new on the album scale, um, unless it's a, one of, an oddball track, which we do get a few of here. But it's a, it's a problem I noticed early on, and I definitely had that issue with the early part of this album. I, really nothing did the choruses for me. The verses, though, did do something for me, and that is provide a good counterpoint for the previous track's party. This was yes. this yeah. was a great hangover type of a song. In mm -hmm. each case, the verses always, always provide counterpoint, and they always make the song fresh. What are these footprints? They don't look very human-like. Now I wish I could find my clothes, bed sheets, and a morning rose. I want to wake up. Can't even tell if this is a dream. How did we end up in my neighbor's pool, upside down with a perfect view? Bar to bar at the speed of sound. Fancy feet dancing through this town. Lost my mind in a wedding gown. Don't think I'll ever get it now. It, it's interesting to me that... You know, it's actually very much that, that kind of this hangover. And the, the, the kind of closeness of the verses convey this kind of personal, personal nature of this story he's telling, this kind of diatribe of, here's what I went through, you know. And, like, even the chorus, you know, don't threaten me with a good time. It's like there are two, reason, two ways a good time could be a threat to you, if you're depressed or if you're hungover. Because if you're hungover... Like, yeah. you don't want to have a good time. You already had one. It's why you've got yeah, the hangover. Yeah, that, that was actually the thing you proposed mm -hmm. earlier on uh, off, off air, that we were talking about the idea of a good time as being like, oh, no, don't threaten me with a good time. I just want to be alone. I just want to be by myself. This is not really what I want to do right now. But if you look at the lyrics, it really is leading toward the hangover idea. Yeah. That it is really, that's the threat. Is like, that oh, you're God, gonna, no, I you're can't gonna drink more. You're going to pay for this tomorrow morning. Um, 
as you get older, that's more of a problem. Yes. One thing, though, that did bother me was the double repetition course at the end. It's something that I've, I've seen a thousand and one times, and we see a lot of times already on this album. It, it did the first version, which was the percussion-only type, and then it did the full chorus again. Mm-hmm. These tricks aren't really just tricks anymore. This is just this is just check marks on a song, and I'm I'm not digging it. Filling in the the, the criteria. Oh, you got to have two more yeah. outros with your chorus just to get that final rallying call. I don't want this though. I mean, mm. the final the fi- the bridge that melded into the chorus that pulled in where you did just have the drum. I liked it, I, but I do agree wholeheartedly that it was very cliche. I you enjoyed like, it. You but... like it as you like most bridges. Yeah. Because bridges are that one moment where hey, everything's slightly different. Yeah. You know, no, and then right back on cue. Right. That's, so. that's the nail on the head. For sure. Okay, so let's go to track three, Hallelujah. Uh, this was an odd intro because it, it it was just a blend of so many strange things. On one hand, this is kind of a Motown backdrop. Very 1970s, you feel like uh, it's very lively. It, there feel like there needs to be a stage somewhere and a room full of people or something. And I'm then waiting for the laugh track, yeah. Yeah, it's, gonna, it's, it's coming up. <laughs> uh, there's a theme here. Um, but then the second strange thing is, is when he says, a moment you'll never remember and a night you'll never forget. He speaks with a kind of accent. It really sounded like he was doing a Jim Morrison impression, which is a uh, far cry from Motown, but I, I thought that was just odd. Um, and that's just like the, the little opening of the song. It doesn't really like, this is still all intro. And then the final thing here was a distinct tempo change. We go from about like 92, 93 beats per minute down to 80 beats per minute uh, on cue right following this drum roll that, that exits out the Motown atmosphere and then finally lands us in this gospel choir, this this gospel chorus, which is, we begin with the chorus, we don't go to a verse, all you sinners stand up, sing hallelujah, hallelujah with the actual gospel choir in the background. Mm-hmm. Um, show praise with your body, stand up, sing hallelujah, hallelujah, and if you can't stop shaking, lean back, let it move right through you, hallelujah, say your prayers, say your prayers. So, flat out evolution from Motown to gospel, which when you look at it, epid- academically speaking, really makes a lot of sense, because the two have similar roots, um, but but the transition, the, the flow, it... It was just something to behold. I really didn't know how to take it yet. It's just curious. Well, it's not just gospel. It's rock gospel. The guitar work that's used Absolutely. here, the uh, the way everything is built. I really did like the guitar. It's another time I like the guitar. I want a lot of this guitar work to be in the song itself. Even if, even in the previous track when they were sampling a riff that had been done before and interspersing it, or here. We were getting something a little bit different, a little more lively than what you really would expect uh, from just like a straight up rock kind of a piece. This one does fit the mood of the gospel very well. Yeah, I'm also being disappointed by the percussion again. Well, I don't know if I was really like like forefront on my mind, like where are the drums? That wasn't the thing that I was thinking about. It was more just, I, I have heard this before. The fusion of rock and gospel is not unheard of. We've it mentioned just, it on the podcast It before. just makes the, the, the intro seem a little out of place or, or left wanting because I actually thought that was more interesting, come to think of it, than this chorus. Well, Wait. No, it wasn't just the drums of the percussion. It was the piano work. It was that organ in the background. Yeah. It, they were just leaving me underwhelmed. Like, they weren't really fitting on the feel of everything that was building up, building up, building up. Because when we transition from verse to chorus, nothing changes but the layers. There's just more added on top of it. And it's it's hard to really differentiate besides just the volume of what's going on, what's verse and what's chorus. 
But see, for me, I think the biggest disappointment about this song is that we get, very briefly in the intro, we get some really interesting horn work, and it's the first time we really get some predominant horn work, which will come up more as the album goes on. Within the Motown segment. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I wanted more of that. And, and That's my point. It didn't really, but I'm honing in specifically on what in that part that I think was really diverse for me. All right, you're right. It's, it's inappropriate to simply leave it at, oh, well, it sounded like Motown. It was a really great arrangement. Yeah. And it was a better arrangement, I thought, than the majority of this track, which is why I thought it was strange to kind of leave that as a throwaway intro. Yeah, it doesn't um, even really get blended into the It rest doesn't of the come track. back later that much. Um, I think my biggest problem with this song is on the face value of it, it's a feel-good song, and I'm a sucker for feel-good songs. This has come up on the podcast countless times, but uh, at this point, all I can say is the reason I liked it is because it was a feel-good song, and that's just not enough to make it better than a okay song, you know? The fact that it makes me feel good, it warms my heart, okay, I mean, that's a good reason to like a song, but I can't really articulate beyond that why I like it, and there's not a lot of substance to it. I'll, I'll articulate a couple things, like for instance, the vocals. The vocals themselves, I actually thought maybe did step up a little bit to a superior place than the last two tracks, notwithstanding what I said before, that he has kind of the same plateau. This one, this one a little bit further with it. Um, he has certain little tricks that he does, little slides, specifically at the end of the verse. Uh, let me read the whole verse for you. My life started the day I got caught under the covers with second-hand lovers. Oh, tied up in, a pretty, in pretty young things in a state of emergency, who was I trying to be? Then the time for being sad is over, and you miss them like you miss no other. And being blue is better than being over it. Over it. And he repeats this a couple times, over it, until finally the, the last time he says it, he actually uses the, the word it to slide upwards from the verse, and you assume uh, in, in, in one instance that he was going for, uh, this is specifically the second verse, in mm -hmm. fact. I, I remember the first verse he does, in fact, go into the chorus, but the second time he repeats the same exact phrase, he does not go into the chorus. Instead, he goes right back into another little verse. Um, no one wants you when you have no heart, and I'm sitting pretty in, in my brand new scars, and you'll never know if you don't ever try again, so let's try, let's try, let's try. There is a moral to it, mm -hmm. so I see why it's a, it's a, it's a, um, a feel-good track, but I do believe that, at least on that one uh, comment about form, about its, its structure, it lends more to it than simply it being a feel-good song. It followed through, and it didn't pull every trope in the book. I think it's just we wish that the height had been something grander than, you know, than what we got. No, yeah, I... A I, gospel choir is cheap in most instances. I mean, it's just we've heard that so many times. If you're going to bring in a gospel choir, reinvent the lyrics or or have an out-of-this-world vocal delivery, as good as his vocal delivery was, it's just there could have been next-level stuff that it just this kind of was comfortable to sit in the tropey area that it, it dwelled in. And then there's this really, like, it's just a bullshit move at the very end to drop everything out and have the vocal choir be your ringing, resounding chorus. With the clapping the at the it. end, yeah. I don't... We that, is, that is what gospel would do in a rock situation. Be to a T. That's exactly yeah. how it ends songs. Yeah. And I'm talking about the genre. That's how the genre does it. Come on, do something a little bit different. You've already tried to infuse a few other things into this. Do something a little bit different. Give me more. This is giving me the most expected thing you could possibly do at an end of a song. I don't want that. 
it, it, it did feel like so when, expected, when they did finally strip everything down, it felt like that was uh, a pretty cliched maneuver. I, I guess it's really back and forth. Like, yeah. I, I comment on one thing that I thought was, oh, nice, you, you, you fooled me, <laughs> you know, with that, uh, with not going to the cores in the previous instance. But then they strip everything down, and it feels to, it's just a little bit too back and forth. You don't, you're not, nothing felt wholeheartedly satisfied. I feel like with a lot of the songs, and the next one, track four, is no exception to this rule, I just don't know quite how to feel with each track. Like, it's not clearly... Like, I don't... I I can honestly say I don't dislike anything, but, like, as far as where I rest for how I truly feel about the song and what it's building, the album, rather, and what it's building, I just... I'm still not quite sure. Well, it's another genre case, also, like, where he he seems to, like, skirt these little genres, specifically the Motown in the beginning and then the the gospel later, and you don't really feel like you spent a lot of time there. It's just kind of, eh, visiting. Visiting and then, you know... And then leaving it immediately. What do we get in track four? Well, if we first two tracks were the bachelor party and aftermath, hallelujah was the wedding. Here we're getting the the actual wedding night. Everything's happened, and this is something that's definitely a little bit more interesting. First off, bass drum combo right from the get go is really solid. I'm digging it. I thought so too. It also has an interesting sample that I can't really place or know what to call. It had this almost vocalizer effect. It was very deep. Something like a lot of DJs do when they talk when they're mixing and they get like, you know, they cover their mouth and get really low. Like yeah. it, it, it's sort it's of not, like no no, that. it's yeah, but it's also nonsensical. Right. It was like it was used yeah. as a soundbite anyway. It wasn't yeah. like like integral to the song. Um, and of course the track is called Emperor's New Clothes. Um this is this is t- it's a little strange because it did feel like we were kind of back in in uh, Panic at the Disco territory completely here. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't define it as anything um, as any other kind of genre other than them, and I think that was good in this case. I I liked this track specifically because of the bass. Um, the bass has this way of like traveling a little bit. It it slides up. It felt like a fret- fretless bass, so it had a lot of character to it. It didn't feel very constrained, you know, shift from one thing to the other. There's a lot of animation, and it, it seemed to span a lot of the scale. I think it was spanning in, in, in octaves at times, which is a lot to move around for a bass, especially in a pop track. Um... And then the verses. They did add one element here, which uh, it does follow through on something that you said before, Matt, and we're going to get a lot more of it later, but it doesn't make it a different genre. It does add some horns in the mm-hmm. background, which I really, really like. They shine through. They give this uh, a kind of character unto itself. Um, it just seemed to be a very shiny track, and or otherwise it was easy to groove to in some instances <clears throat> and very elaborate in others, and just seemed to be more spread out evenly between those two extremes. Well, jumping on you referencing shiny, I mean, even later on in the choruses, we get this kind of twinkling effect that's a exactly. soundbite, and that paired with the horns gave it a kind of modern edge that felt really interesting. It was unique. That plus the weird soundbite of the nonsensical that keeps coming back at some point before each verse, it just... The construction here felt really unique, especially comparatively to what we were getting before. And, I mean, you know, the transition from verse to chorus also felt very smooth and kind of fun. It didn't feel like we were getting two different ideas that just so happened to to know about one another and work in tandem with one another. This one felt like actual building of textures. I especially liked that random twinkling in the chorus. Yep, it was so light, so mm-hmm. so shiny. That little glitzy part did a lot to cement the sort of the sort of bravado nature of the chorus itself. It felt it, it felt effervescent. I'm taking back the crown. I'm all dressed up and naked. 
I see what's mine and take it. Finders, keepers, losers, weepers, oh yeah. The crown, so close I can take it. I see what's mine and take it. Finders, keepers, losers, weepers, oh yeah. Now granted, I was not 100% with the finders, keepers, losers, weepers. A little annoying. Yeah. A little bit too high-pitched. But at the same time, this really feels like it's got a little bit of childlike wonder to it. But at the same time, it still has a little bit of sensuality to it. Well, yeah. And that childlike wonder actually really bleeds through in the song. When we get to the kind of Elfman-esque uh Breakdown. It felt very kind of Nightmare Before Christmas, and you know had that kind of odd childish darkness. I guess this proves me wrong in some respect. It is kind of a genre <laughs> hop. It is, um, and I mean also it just feels very theatrical. Like if there were a genre to put this in, it would be theater or or, or spectacle. Well, one of us can speak to it, but think of your wedding night. A uh, little bit of theatrics involved, I <laughs> yes, assume, with it. Yes, absolutely. Uh, you married an actress. I'm sure she has a couple of moves. But anyway. Like, there's, like, an expectation and a sort of a surrealness to the, mm-hmm. just that idea. So it kind of works to both be childish and to have that theater and still have that sensuality. It's I mean, a good le- blend. The last time we encountered this was not all too uh, too long ago. It we encountered FFS. it in yeah. FFS yes. uh, episode 181, and that was more... Uh, I, here's the thing. I that guess, one felt more on the nose, though, I think, than this did. Maybe it shocked us more. Yeah, yeah. it was definitely more on the nose. This one is a little bit... Uh, and I feel they also kind of foreshadowed it a little bit in that yeah. album. This one, it kind of got it out of nowhere. Yeah. Um, well, right. But it didn't, like, previous... tear us away from the track either, so... No, I think it blended well. And there was also a pause for breath right after that section, and then he went back into the chorus, I believe. And so that, I think, also had a nice momentum. It wasn't a pointless pause. It actually made sense for the flow of the song. I also want to talk about yeah no I actually I actually loved that that segment that was a nice harsh cut that did make this stand out even if it didn't stand out as we were going into it it definitely stood out as we were going out of it. Um, but I, I do want to talk about the lyrics here because the lyrics are are they're a little bit abstract. Um, John read a few of them and I think I mean it's almost getting at a kind of idea. Obviously it's, the track is called Emperor's New Clothes but it's like sort of devaluing the celebrityhood, I guess, that he's been experiencing. I really like the, this, this stanza right after what he read, in fact. Sycophants on velvet sofas, lavish mansions, vintage wine. I am so much more than royal. Snatch your chain and mace your eyes. If it feels good, tastes good, it must be mine. Heroes always get remembered, but you know legends never die. It, 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 it's... I appreciate the quote from Sandlot. It's actually a little abstract. <laughs> Is it really? Uh, heroes get remembered, but legends never die. Follow your heart. Oh, well, that at least. Yeah, okay, there you go. Sure. Yeah. Um, but it's it's decadence. I like the yes. decadence, but yeah. it has its own lie to it because yeah. of the actual track itself. It's another one of those self-aware tracks, though. He's obviously kind of panning this in a way. Well, it's right. a satire. Well, also, the song is called Emperor's New Clothes. I yeah. mean, the idea of vanity and illusion all wrapped up yeah. together. But I'm saying it can come across as abstract because it feels as if it's just kind of throwing around references and it can all be, like what we said, a sort yeah. of shiny, twinkling, glowing, effervescent track to to uh, put out the idea that this is really um, something to aspire to and it doesn't look like he really believes that. And then the the, the, the lyrics actually read in the little Elfman-esque section, uh, Mortal kings are ruling castles. Welcome to my world of fun. Liars settled into sockets. Flip the switch and watch them run. No, it's the lyrics and the style that really convey the Elfman-esque. Whereas, like in FSS, we we were talking about before Mm -hmm. the lyrics sort of do but it's mostly the theatrical performance of it that really kind of does it so I I like that here the lyrics even kind of feel like it could be in a Tim Burton movie you know Um, 
And I think that also this song kind of foreshadows the next track, the title track, track five, uh, Death of a Bachelor. I think that this kind of, those moments in that breakdown that seem a little off lead to, to this track or allude to it. because the, the intro in this track is full of a breakdown. It's like this this sampling <coughs> of things that are blending into one another. It doesn't really pick where it's at for the it first few like seconds. It feels like a record player that's someone it's is playing and they're no, not they're jumping not. around. It's like they're jumping around on the record and also changing the speed. Yes, exactly. And, and that kind of worrying kind of distortion gives the song character very early on and it goes right into the verse from there that has this slow groove that kind of blends really well I felt now this is a genre yeah this is a this is a and I mistook it for R&B but it's sort of well no no no, it it has one element of R&B the rest of it is very much of the 1960s lounge swing style Uh, I thought that to reference a more recent artist I would go with Michael Buble rather than let's say someone really of the 1960s era but that's the way the instrumentation the way it's arranged is of that era Um, but the R&B element that is really the bass it's the bass in the background which is very stuttered and it sounds very against everything else mainly because I think most of it is in, in triplets um, everything else is very even, and his vocals are very flowing and very much with uh, the tempo itself. But flat out, it's it's a crooner track, and yeah. the the only experience that we really have of this, even in in all the the podcasts we reviewed, is not even something we've reviewed, but something we've interviewed. Uh, going back to episode one fifty four, not the album, not not a Mortela by Banda Magda, but our guest who brought it, Joe Benjamin of Joe Benjamin and the Mighty Handful. That is. That is what this is about. I mean, obviously, he's a, a, a German guy who came to America, and he's writing all this music that is <clears throat> steeped in this, like, swing atmosphere, and yet it still has that pop sensibility. And that's the key thing about this track, is that the lyrics, eh, they don't look like something that would really come out of the 60s. Um, they're they're modern, and even the melody itself, kind of modern. But his singing style, that's changed completely. That is all immersed in the crooning style of Mike Buble and some of the guys back in the 60s, and the instrumentation completely completely in that style as well. Well, with one big exception, as it gets introduced, the Except drum the machine. No, the drum machine that comes in later, adding in some tapping word, adding in some extra oh, well, layers to the percussion. That's much later, but that's a that's a, that's a off whole... off left field instrumental. That's Yeah, about halfway through the first verse, I believe it, it first steps in and it does sort of permeate the rest of the track, but we're getting a lot of like modern ideas mixed up with a less modern and then very much not modern. I like the flow between these three different ideas really meshing well together. His vocal style, though, is what holds it together. Otherwise, there's not a whole lot going on that is really different or fascinating. There's just a lot of great things supporting his croon. I would say, though, that there are moments here that really kind of stand out. And even though you might feel like some, as a whole, the song doesn't, I feel like these moments, especially when it really starts to blend. I mean, as the song progresses, that drum machine comes in and then the thing Steve alluded to, the interlude later we get, where the instrumental is just kind of warped with electronics in something very instrumental. Yeah, and I I would argue that it's different for the album for sure. I mean, that's that you can't argue that point. If you're talking about the genre, I guess, yeah, it's a very on-the-nose trying to do something in the style of of X. But I still think they keep a little bit of Panic at the Disco there it's it's not yeah. it's not skirting it in the in the minorest of ways they did for instance back in the gospel track and hallelujah that was that was just 
skirting it. It was this, a cliche in that. They, this, they not, are immersed, yeah. apart yeah. from a few elements. It's really more has changed than less. Um, this isn't just visitation rights. We're actually getting a full-fledged piece here. Right. But I, I, I will meet you halfway on one point, John. You, you said that there's, there's some stuff that doesn't feel like entirely cohesive or you're not just... You're not in another environment of newness if for instance yes. you have any familiarity with this genre at all um which i do so yeah it helps the melody the melody itself not forgetting his vocals because his vocals are phenomenal and it's actually pretty amazing that he can even do this we already know he can dip into other genres he sift he went seamlessly into the whole young veins thing so apparently he can do this too and i really would enjoy seeing like uh, a kind of album of covers of like 1950s 60s standards just with his vocals i think that would be phenomenal but the melody the melodies here they're a little bit boring alone um he does excellent things with them he embellishes a lot for instance he'll take one note of that melody and he'll have a lot of fun with that he'll he'll jump up really really high and then and then really flutter away with it and, and also sound very personable in the process which is uh, uh the a mark of the of a great lounge singer but just the core melody uh it doesn't really do it for me i'm more into the instrumentation i'm more into that stuff in the background and then i'm absolutely into this weird oddball instrumental which is full of stuttered, muffled, uh, it's like kind of this underwater breakdown. It's, it's hard to describe. Um, it's like it, it uses like No, these, no, I got it. It's it, someone suffocating electronica while underwater under glass, like far away from you. It's yes, that and, level and, of and like suffocating, three times removed. Suffocating the beatbox itself yeah. because the beatbox is also, it has that, that stuttered feel. It's like, and it uses horns. a lot of... Uh, and then horns. A lot of like triplet cells to create that. Yeah. And, then, and then horns, yeah. So... The combination is really good, especially because when they start paralleling one another, uh, they work so well in tandem. I would have loved a song just of stuff like that. That would have been like an, an amazing like experiment. Well, first of all, this is also the track um, that, to, to, cut, to cut away the theme here, this is the track that I think really starts to define the album in some way. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we knew from the beginning the album was called Death from a ba- Death of a Bachelor, and now we've had several tracks that concern themselves with the party or the mm-hmm. over-engrandized uh, idea behind the party and that maybe it's it's not really worth it in the end. And indeed, this track is called Death of a Bachelor. Like, it's some kind of epitaph on your partying life, on yeah. your bachelorhood. But I think my big problem here going to that is that as we progress to the next song and the rest of the record, I don't get the other side of it. Like, I get the Death of a Bachelor side of it. Like, he's partying and then he's kind of winding down. But I don't get the adult realization or the growth like we might have gotten back in All American Rejects a while ago when we talked about maturity. It takes till track 8, 9, 10 before, like, the seriousness shows up. Yeah. Because in the next track, Crazy Genius, or Crazy Equals Genius, I'm going to call it Crazy Genius, uh, this is this is just swing. If we touched upon it in the previous track, lounge swing music, this is full-fledged big band style swing. This well, is we the cut song back that another I... 20 years earlier yeah. here, and from the 60s to 40s. The song that I really felt like Joe Benjamin, just because most of his songs are very dancey, and so for me, this was even more so. He's done both kinds, but I'm familiar with his live stuff, which is way more energetic like this was. Okay, of what I heard, I think I heard the more lounge you style did. of it, yes. but there's... Um, but yeah, he's got this to it as well. But, but really, it should be stressed. This is a much earlier style of of um, of jazz. This is this is swing. This is the, it's all about the drums here. Everything oh, yeah. about this track is about the drums, and there's no other uh, name that I contributed uh, other than Gene Krupa. This is full blown Gene Krupa style drumming, uh, making use of like the kettle drums or a lot of that. 
uh, getting full-blown drum solos like so many other genres just weren't getting back in the 40s, um, where the spotlight is all on him. He's like the grandfather of drumming, and this is going straight back to that. I'd love to know who was behind that. And also, for me, like, those drums drove how danceable this song was. Like, it made me want to swing dance well, instantly from when it started. That swing. There's a genuine attitude of just fun associated with swing because that's what the music was designed for. It wasn't designed to do anything but get you moving. It's called swing. It's it's its name is a verb. But that said, it's it still feels like just swing until we start getting more intricate things. The guitar becomes a little bit more divergent from what I expect from swing. The drums themselves do tend to have a, a little bit of a modern twang in a lot of what they're doing, and I like that. I like it's still a little bit more updated, but it's still not. It still doesn't feel like it's its own piece, but it has the air of being like a modern take on it. Yeah, I could I could kind of see that, but you you have to if you're just arguing the almost pointless argument of of arguing in terms of degree, then you have to admit at least is a little bit further into the past than the last track. Yes. Um there's a specific piece in fact that this does remind me of and that's uh, uh Sing Sing Sing. That's like the one that was I believe by the Benny Goodman Orchestra, which of which Gene Krupa was certainly a prominent member of. And it, that's the one that really goes back. It's the one that everyone knows, that quintessential sure. like 1930s track um, that's been used in just so many things, uh, the best versions being the older versions of it. They had this big uh, like Carnegie Hall live extravaganza at one point, and to listen to that like front to back is really quite the experience. Um, that's kind of what this reminds me of specifically. Even the arrangements, the, the it's, it's spectacular. It's just as spectacular as that track, except it doesn't go in as many places. It's still mostly a jam, and it's almost like an extra of that track um, and there's actually only one thing that does keep it very grounded in the modern sense and that is like this guitar sort of a drone guitar that that cast itself over one chord at a time which lasts for you know a couple beats or so um, so it's not all over the place quarterly but it is all over the place rhythmically well, also, I feel like vocally here, it's a little less sh sticky almost because it, it, the crooner voice that he was using in the previous track almost, is f almost does feel like a put-on shtick, which it's not. A little. But it does feel a little. Here, his vocals still are, are closer to what he'd been doing in previous tracks before that, uh, you know, feeling fairly more modern, especially even in the courses where he really lets loose and kind of lets his, his uh, pipes kind of expand and kind of really go for it. It feels more modern, but I would agree wholeheartedly the rest of the track uh, does feel very much in that time period. I mean, even the horn work. I love the horn work in this track. We're getting track after track with these horns now, and he just does really great things with them. It's nice to find a common thread here, yeah. considering that, like, I, I hate to say it, but the common thread, as I know it, of Panic at the Disco sometimes just isn't quite enough. Yeah. And that is what I what I like about Panic at the Disco is because they can step out of themselves, and they're more likely to do that. Uh, but back to one point you made earlier uh, in the transition to this track, in fact, mm -hmm. talking about the theme, it does seem to to depart that in a little way like it, it seems to be a completely separate message i am not really sure how to take that in context of the rest in which i felt was pretty tight at that point here uh begins you can set yourself on fire you can set yourself on fire she said at night in my dreams you dance on a tightrope of weird oh but when i wake up you're so normal that you just disappear you're so straight like commuters with briefcases towing the line. There's no residue of a torturer inside of your eyes. She said you're just like Mike Love, but you want to be by, like Brian Wilson. Um, she said you're just like Mike Love, but you'll never be Brian Wilson. 
And I said, hey, 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 if crazy equals genius, hey, if crazy equals genius, then I'm a fucking arsonist. I'm a rocket scientist if crazy equals genius. It's more a question about the art itself, I guess. Yeah, I guess. I don't I, know. I, as, a it's, mu- it's, as a musician, then if you're more likely to do crazy things, crazy choices, then that go- makes you a genius? It's going back to that mentality of almost feeling kind of self-absorbed or self-obsessed, and which was more the bachelorhood stuff. And so I feel like it's revisiting that again. We didn't get that far from it. It just seems a little convoluted. The it track might, as a nah, whole... I could take it a couple different ways. If this really is the death of a bachelor and the creation of a marriage, this could be just the spontaneity of being with a new partner. It could just be That's the true. idea of keeping it fresh, of keeping it going, of being, of, of hitting that next level where new levels of uh, your personality are revealed to one another. You're not quite at the point where the bathroom door gets up open. Like That's just the weird part, which I'll never understand. <laughs> but it's also, it's where those those little parts of you that get hidden and here the little part is the is the craziness, is the his, quote, genius actually coming out actually showing up as he's yeah keeping his spontaneity there now it it could be a couple different things but i, I kind of feel like it, it's probably that also the reference to the beach boys personnel uh mike love and brian wilson um makes me think that it was really more about the his his, his tendency to do projects like uh young veins and whatnot like be. that's in him somehow and that's a bigger part of him than than we really see in the rest of panic at the disco's music I, I don't know i think those references more just speak to um the kind of work that's inside him and the possibly becoming self-obsessed with your own work and when you're with a partner other things have to take priority besides your work and you have to make that distinction so it could be a relation to that they were also very different people uh brian wilson and mike love so for sure um i think as a whole i might agree with john he might have brought me around but it still just doesn't feel as clear and concise as the other tracks well even stuff like hallelujah emperor and death of a bachelor weren't quite that forefront of 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 this theme i'm building along as we go along right which is but Thematically, they seem to be just for me meshing a little bit here and there. All right, let's face it. Most themes we have don't present themselves out fr- up front. You know, mostly you have to peel back and put them in context as you go through the album. So well, let's go to track seven, "La Devotee" or "Devotee." Um, so this might be one of my favorite vocal tracks on the record. Not necessarily because he does his best vocal work here, but it's more because of the fun he has with it. It's reminiscent of other alt-rock bands from the 90s that I was really into that always would have fun vocal quirks or tricks that would really bring me in, and this song kind of has a, a kind of similar strut to a lot of those songs. Here's actually the most panic I feel he's being all album. This feels most like, especially in the chorus, especially the chorus work, the most panic of panic. I agree with that 100%. I think um, this felt, and strangely enough, uh, not to, again, uh, insult panic or anything, but being that being the case, it felt a little safer. It pulls back. They do their own thing. Uh, lots of things are very steady front to back in this track. The drums are very steady. Uh, the, the riff is very steady front to back. Little variance here. Um, the vocal delivery in the chorus is what I call radio ready, but maybe I mean that a little more positively this time. Only because maybe I needed a track like this, I do think this is one that I'd, as I've so often stated, I'd be pleased to hear in a department store or a bookstore. <laughs> he, he, he he uses a lot of the scale. He, he, 
maybe this is a case where he definitely exceeded the the plateau that I originally ascribed to him. Maybe because everything else is a little more pared down, it highlights his vocals more. Maybe it ma it, it makes them seem as if they're being more experimental. Maybe even if they're not, and it's just something I interpret because suddenly the spotlight has been shifted. It's not about the other instrumentation. It's not about everything else in the song. It's about him. Uh, so I liked it for that reason. Well, the the horn flare was definitely less less forefront as it had been in previous tracks. The persistence of the drums were there, but it was it was much less kick drum and more using the rest of the drum set, which I did appreciate, but at the same time, it was very persistent. There were very few breaks in everything that was going on. It was another one where the, the actual lines of the chorus and the verse blended together a little bit heavily. And that did... It, it did allow me to focus on his vocals, but at the same time, it didn't really do much for me musically. And I think that might be the big issue I got like with the album as a whole. It's just I want a little bit more musically, and and here it felt like it was a it was a good point. I, he really is taking out a lot of the 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 issues I had with the wall of noises we got in the first few tracks. It's not so overbearing in parts where I'm just going, ah, oh, please just tone it down a little. I don't need that much kick drum. Yeah, but. The experimentation just isn't there when that usually goes hand in hand with this kind of change. It's not a wishy-washy track. It just depends on what part you're talking about. Yeah. Like, like if you're talking about um, one of the the court when he goes on about uh, swimming pools under desert skies, drinking white wine in the blushing light, and his, vo his vocals are really high there, and then ends that with just another LA devotee, and that's the way he ends. And he, suddenly his vocals have gone really low. It just kind of dips low for just a couple syllables, and then rises back up again. It, that's very animated. But again, it could just be that they sound animated in contrast to everything else, which is pretty constant. But then there is a moment in the track as a whole. Uh, where this does shift up completely the bridge the bridge especially the the it, it, we changed our speed again with a full-blown tempo change um kind of half speed at like around two minutes 18 seconds this the bass kicks in here and it's so much more crisp everything is completely stripped down um this like 70s mixing style bass very crispy i gotta love it and things start building a little bit more um a little bit more tastefully, just one by one. Uh, you're you're more in the zone here. It's not just a, a mess of white noise. And then finally, at the end of this, we modulate. We mm -hmm. modulate the track completely. Uh, and I believe he sings. What is it? The next verse or the next chorus? He it's sings. Chorus. It's the next chorus, right? That he sings um, in a completely different key. I'm, I can't say yet what that does for the entirety of the track. I can just say that it it did shift up our expectations when once we thought we knew this track front to back uh it was something out of left field i mean modulation when used in this way is always kind of fun to engage with i don't i don't think i ever can think of a moment where a modulation like this happens where a chorus is repeated and i didn't like it unless i all out to the oh, like i could think song. about a couple of cases hmm. but it's yeah, it but happen. it's not you know the most common choice but i don't know okay common Every time we hit the bridge, we get something like this, and it's the same sort of idea. You're right. It's like what I said a few tracks ago. You're right. Br bridges are usually uncommon. Yeah. Um, maybe the only thing that this track is really doing different is that the chorus that follows it is not the carbon copy. It is different just because it's in another key. I don't know. But thematically, it does something to progress the story that I've been building by myself out of Lego blocks of these different parts of songs. It's more the flip side of the previous track. This is this is uh, the luster of the new relationship or the culmination of the relationship. It's starting to wane. It's got lines of, You got bleached out eyes from the valley sand, and the black tar pits keep weeping your name. I couldn't change you. Oh, oh. 
Couldn't even try to make you see, no. The high-rise lights read your rights, and a downtown storm with Aries rising. Couldn't change you, oh, oh. Couldn't ever make you see, no. I like it. It's, honestly, mm-hmm. some of the better poetry of the actual album. I'm, I'm not really super into a lot of these lyrics, but they're at least flowing well. Here, this this does get very metaphorical, and I'm enjoying it. It's getting metaphor. Yeah, it is pretty metaphorical. At the same time, it's it's more directed toward a specific person. It doesn't seem to speak in the same generalities. This is one person to another person, um, presumably a object of love <laughs> or lost know. love i mean it's that sort of feels like it's like year five year 10 year 15 where the the relationship has become something new and exciting to something that's just how was your day uh-huh good night yeah where you actually have can you turn the light off i ask you every night can you turn the light off no i'm reading okay yeah it's one of those <laughs> For what you that's know what I worth. Mean? Yeah, no, I got yeah, you. It's, it's, but thematically, it's it's working within context. All right. I like that. I mean, for all the genre shopping we're going through, I'm seeing a cohesion as far as the theme is concerned, and that's definitely a, a positive uh, okay. for this album. All right. Well, then let's look at track eight, uh, Golden Days. Um, which is also still kind of stick. We're not we're not really genre jumping here either. This is essentially Panic at the Disco. We, we looked like a couple other things. I know Matt mentioned something. I, in the beginning, frankly, they reminded me just a bit of the Killers. A little I, bit. I mean, but of old Killers, mid-Killers, new Killers? Um, closer to mid-new. Old, but certainly in the setting where this is a Killers track you're going to dance to, because it has a clubby vibe also. I mean, the start of the track is, though it's not super intense, there's a very graining drum beat that's kind of consistent through the intro that gives way to a very pop club hit song. It's something we've but heard no. on Fall Out Boy. It's something we've heard of Lady Gaga, that kind of stuff. It's it's so pervasive, and it's a very common just setup for any song. It's one, two, three, uh, and one, two, three, uh, and this yeah, is the exactly. beat. Yeah, exactly. It's this that the beat to that's, back. That this that this beat is probably the oldest thing on the entire <laughs> album. It's like one of those dance beats. Well, it's something. Well, all right, yeah, you definitely found a lot in in clubs. Like I said, um, interestingly enough, though, it does go against maybe some of the killers. I think it's more his voice that sounds like like a killer singer. Um, but yet there's parts later that almost build up as as kind of pared down and thrashy as like punk would do um, and starts building and building and the vocals are soaring in the background but that's only in, in the build up before you get the next chorus. It's a, it's another strange blend of things but not so off the walls to really take you away from them. But what really gets strange is after that verse when we go into the pre-chorus into the chorus which well, is a it, long chorus or the first part of the chorus. It's the post-verse I no, 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 it's post-verse. It's too similar to the verse itself, and it starts off... When we get chorus. into the thing that will eventually be classified as the chorus as a whole, <laughs> it slows down. Gotta be specific. It gets sensitive and kind of very relaxed, and it sounds bizarre, like, really, considering what we had preceding it. Well, what it is is, is a verse build, but in the chorus nature. Uh, guitar strum starts everything off and then you get the next element after two lines and the next element after two lines and what it actually culminates in at the end for the last two to four lines of this really elongated chorus it's 
the the chorus. It's the generic chorus. But and it's that's like what that's what's disappointing. Strummy, about it. strummy electric guitar, super predictable wall of sound. But it is unique that I guess uh, objectively you kind of have to consider the whole th- damn thing the chorus from yeah. the beginning of the lines. Well, first of all, you have you have the verses, which I noticed a lot of references to to the nineteen seventies here. Obviously, the, it's about uh, the golden days. It's, it's thinking of the past. He a, found a pile of old Polaroids in the crates of a record shop. They were sexy, sexy looking back from a night that time forgot. But boy, he was something debonair in 1979, and she had Farrah Fawcett hair, carafes of blood red wine, mm-hmm. And then that, that sort of pre-chorus in the summertime, in the summertime, swaying to the parts that still sound very much like the like the, the verse itself. And then finally we take the break um, into the chorus, but instead of getting blown up out of proportion, we pare everything down. And then this is the chorus, which sounds much more down-to-earth and, and speaking to you, but it sounds like it's a soliloquy. It sounds like it's off to the side. It doesn't seem like the kind of thing that would be uh, spotlighted. Oh, don't you wonder when the lights begin to fade and the clock just makes the colors turn to gray, forever young or growing older just the same. All, all the memories that we make will never change. We'll stay drunk, we'll stay tan, let the love remain, and I swear that I'll always paint you golden days, golden days. And of course it's building throughout all of that. It starts out so soft and it's completely blown up, and then by the time it gets to golden days, yeah, it's yell, not, yelly and screaming. It's and not golden days, it's golden, golden days. days. I mean, yeah. You have to take it as an ode. Of course he's going to say it. He's going to feel a lot, you know, about these golden days. That kind of goes without saying. It's just, once again, the melody here, I uh, I just feel a little bit cheated. It's it's simple. It's it's the kind of thing that I feel is, it's the anthemic idea. It's it's expecting to bring me in on, on, uh, on gravitas alone, but that's not going to quite cut it for me because I felt more in that build than I felt at the climax. I agree. I think that... The the thing is, I just I I think the 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 sum of the parts aren't as good as some of some of the parts, and yes, and I think nice wordplay right there, very yeah. nice wordplay, <laughs> very good. Accidental, I fully admit, but I'm going <laughs> with it. Um, like the construction is interesting, but the execution of what's constructed doesn't leave me as wowed because also even though it, the the elongated chorus has all these parts. It doesn't do much with it because it just does it again. But once but it goes it back into something. the verse. It does make that beat bearable the next time it comes around. Yes, but it just is still samey because you just copy oh, yeah. and paste the first half of the song and the second half of the song. I don't even remember there being a very distinct bridge in this. And it's usually a, bridges are his thing. Like, uh, all the songs have them. Here, I, I think, don't even remember it. I think there is one. It's I'm time, sure there is. Time can never break your heart, but it'll take the pain away. Right now, our future is certain. I won't let it fade away. And then right back on cue two golden days, golden days. Uh, but that could have just been buried in the chorus somewhere, too. Yeah, but I, I think it was the bridge. But I, I don't really remember much about it. It didn't stand this out particularly. This is definitely my least favorite song on the record. Because even there, though there were other songs that did less interesting stuff, I enjoyed more what that less interesting stuff ended up doing. Here, I just felt like it was disjointed like that kind of for the sake. I don't know. I, I This song confuses me. I'm still conflicted. Um, yeah, I really don't know quite how to take this. It's just another... It, I, I'm going to go with what you said before. Your eloquent way of putting it. That it's, the, it's, some of its parts are more important than some of its... Or the, less important. The, the sum <laughs> of its parts aren't as good as some of its parts. I got you. Yeah. No, You're welcome. No, I cannot say it any better than that. That's it. Done. Uh, track nine. The good, the bad, and the dirty. 
We get an acapella intro, yay. Yeah, for that. I mean, <laughs> I like his voice, so I actually, sarcasm aside, I, I do enjoy that he starts it this way, and he hasn't done that before. It's a little tropey for pop songs in general, but he hadn't done it on the record, so I'm well, willing okay. to kind of give it a pass. It's the percussion I'm actually digging. Right. Yeah, me too. Once it I comes really in, enjoy it. Yeah. He has really this kind going of along with it. bouncy, weaving in and out, cagey nature to his lyrics here in the verse, um, amidst the, the sort of rapidly walking bass line, which I guess makes it a running bass line. Um, but it was... It, walking quickly, briskly. There you go. Exactly, exactly. It's a brisk bass. That is exactly what it's doing. Um, but then it gets to the chorus, and cue problem. Uh, cut... Copy paste. You yeah, cut a chorus from earlier on the album, paste it here. Meh. No, it's yes, it's foreseen and yes, it's forgettable. But I have no other point to make here, and Good that's job. the problem. I like the verse. It's another one of those. There's a progression to it. It's 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 going along. The build, the build is there. There's there's elements added and. Once again, it feels like there's a disconnect between the verse and the chorus. It's this is just an epidemic on this album of them being separate parts. And I mean, I I wouldn't even go that far, but I would just We've th- named it like 6 times, 7 times so far. So it's an epidemic. Mm, no, I don't you've named it. I don't, I don't think this is not. necessarily a case of like the verse and chorus <laughs> being completely divorced. It's really just a case that the choruses always leave they leave something wanting. They leave uh they don't leave anything up to the imagination. They are just what they are. And the verse begs a little more than that. It doesn't mean it's born out of like a completely separate idea. There are a couple cases, only a couple cases where that was true. Here, I don't think it was really the same. I just wanted more. That's it. And I mean, yeah, particularly here, the verses, I think I was just so invested in that slow groove that I was really kind of strutting along to. And then it just kind of disappears in the chorus. And that's, I think, the biggest bummer. Also, lyrically, he's not saying a lot here, to me anyway. Like, it's not at least catching my ear like some of the other stuff has. Well, it goes, oh, the good, the bad, and the dirty. Truth is that it was always going to end. This symphony buzzing in my head took a market of filth and sold like summer. True, all the good girls act so good till one of them doesn't wait their turn. Turn the memory to stone and carve your shoulder. Hey, holy roller. If you want to start a fight, you better throw the first punch. Make it a good one. And if you want to make it through the night, you better say my name like... The good, the bad, and the dirty. The good, the bad, and the dirty. I, yeah, There's I no narrative here at all. There's yeah, been just, in I don't quite get it. And he's just throwing words out. It's just allusion towards one thing and then completely not follow it up in the next part and then completely not follow up that previous part in the next part. It's the... the, the it, it almost broaches hyperbole or like this... No, it the, doesn't broach. It's there. Uh-huh. It's definitely there. Took a market of filth and sold like summer. True, all the good girls. Wait, 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 wait. Well, I'm what? sorry, what? Yeah. Okay, sure. All right, you go for it, man. Just <laughs> you do you at this point. I That's just, what I feel like is going on. I think I'm just bummed also because even if the lyrics aren't up to snuff, usually vocally I'm engaged somehow because I've liked his vocals so far. And here I just, I don't, I don't even get that. I feel like his delivery is kind of plain in his vocals here. I am so lost. I must read on. I know what it's like to have to trade the ones that you love for the ones you hate. Don't think I've ever used a day of my education. Wait, why? Why? Why is he talking about education when he's talking about love and hated ones? Trade the ones you love for the ones you hate. Okay, to take the people that you hate in your life over the ones that you love. Da, 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 da. And yeah, he obviously isn't educated about that choice. Um, and he's admitting it. There's only two ways that these things can go, good or bad. And how was I to know that all your friends won't hold any grudges? I got the final judgment. Wait, 
No, that's I'm sorry, self-defeating. What? If your friends are not, if the, if the friends are not holding judges, uh, grudges, why why is their final judgment like? Where is this coming from? What's the final judgment? There's the, no context. This is a sequitur of the non-variety. Yeah, we're gonna go with a non-sequitur. Uh, yeah. I just, I uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, the, but the, the best th- I can the best I can ascertain, just give this a little bit of the benefit of the doubt, is that maybe the good, the bad, and the dirty kind of reflects this uh this wishy-washy, non-committal, um, and also not so sure of him himself or his choices idea, which is why it comes across maybe intentionally so as such a splotchy narrative to us. Sure. Eh. <laughs> like, I mean, that's better than we got, so sure, why not? For the hell of it, let's do the last stanza. And you've been gone so long, this is following another chorus, and you've been gone so long I forgot what you feel like. But I'm not gonna think about that right now. I'm gonna keep getting underneath you. I'm gonna keep getting underneath you. And all our friends want us to fall in love. Which is really roundabout way of saying so. But also, I want. I, I forgot how you feel, but I want to get. But I want to get underneath. No, 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 no. I but I will keep getting underneath. Like, I will keep getting. If it's underneath. an illusion of sex, no, it feels like underneath your skin, and our friends want to fall in yeah, love. Yeah. But then, why are you? How are you not thinking about them yet? I doing things know. to get underneath their skin, or if it's a sex route? I mean, it's really hard not to think about the person that's naked in front of you. I've tried, but well, just now please. I know that, that that you know she's starting the fight. Um, or throwing the first punch. Okay, sure. Well, I originally took it out of context of necessarily being a state of a relationship turmoil. I mean, I didn't think that that was the case until the very end, so I had to build to that. Oh, I got except, it. Right. Oh, no, except for the true all the girl yeah, girls act so yeah, good, but so I thought stuff. that was a side thing. I don't know. I just don't know. Remember the scene in Spaceballs where Barf and Lone Star are at the restaurant and they order food and then another guy gets it and then the alien comes out and sings and dances and then they go, check please? Yes. That's how I feel about this song. Oh, Remember okay. the part where they were explaining what now is? With that. Yes. Like, what are we watching? We're watching now. We're watching now? Yes, now. This is happening all right now. That feels like I'm having that kind of a conversation when talking about this. Like, it's one of those conversations that I end up throwing my helmet down and going, Wow, two Spaceballs references in one episode. Yeah. Back to back, no less. Yes. Um, Hey, remember when the alien popped out? That was fun. Yeah, there we go. Thanks. (laughs) The exact thing I was just talking about. (laughs) Anyway, um, from here we go to track 10, House of Memories, where we kind of rein back in the, you know, what what they do best um i i think that from the get the the subtlety of the verse in this track and the instrumentation in the very early part of this track lends itself to being kind of more sincere and deep a bit which which kind of instantly drew me in especially from what we were coming from it was another episode of one-handed piano work very simple percussion but at least the guitars and the bass were awake they were doing some stuff I was enjoying because there was motion in these instruments and it wasn't tied directly to the percussion in this case. They were developing an enjoyable melody in the verses. Yeah, the bass was pretty amazing. It's a beat you can get lost in and frankly it was steady in a more uh, hypnotic sense. It also had a weird like 80s synth tone to it, just kind of like a subtle little layer. Um, And then, well, the build to the chorus, of course, gotta throw in the O-O-O's. and once again, his vocals are more animated here, so I liked that. Any any 
chorus where his vocals at least are showy and don't just stick with a kind of bland melody. This one, uh, they were pretty interesting. In fact, it was a nice little motif where his uh, um, maybe this was even more in the in the in the pre-chorus itself or the end of the verse. That's actually where this was, where he started off low, he jumps up high, comes back to mid, jumps up high, and then goes back low again. It's just some little like triad work. This interesting little cell that stood out from like. A, a smooth flowing melody and I kind of liked that it stepped out of that yeah and it goes really nicely into the chorus which kind of had this haunting tone because it was you know ver it was electronic in nature but kind of only underneath there was still a solid instrumentation that felt like physical instruments that gave a hollowness to the chorus that I really dug but a lot of what I liked in the verse, the, the guitar work and that bass kind of gets pushed a little bit background. Now, that being said, the chorus and the verse here are definitely some of the best linked pieces we've yeah. had on the rest of the album. But the one thing I was really digging, which was the bass, really enjoying, kind of got like shuffled to the side. And it was the one point where I got, oh, yeah, you connected them. They're good. They're going well together. Except you got rid of what I really liked. Yeah, but yeah. I think I muffling that bass work is what gave it the kind of haunting feel that I really liked about it. I understand what you're saying, but I think artistically the muffling of that bass really kind of propelled the song emotionally and kind of gave it this hollowness that I like. Well, it's just showing I can't have my cake and eat it too on this album. I can't have both things going at once. I can't have all the instrumentation I'm enjoying. Just be less and picky. The... Then you can have plenty. No, I'm supposed to be picky. But... Well, it does, you're right, it does lend to the emotion of what this track is getting across. Mm -hmm. Baby, we built this house on memories. Take my picture now, shake it till you see it. And when your fantasies become your legacy, promise me a place in your house of memories. So j just in case you're confused, there was a line about take the picture of me and shake it till you see me. Back in the day, we had Polaroid cameras, yeah. and they took photos. Okay, no, oh, you're allowed man. one. You already <laughs> did one. You're, only, you're not allowed, no right, two, right. one. Kids, one. you don't get to learn about Polaroids. Today. Back in my day, we had to load cameras with actual physical items. It was called film. Yes. Oh, there only gets to be one old man. <laughs> I was the original old man, and I don't have to do a voice, thank you. That's yeah, true. You would just... do it over music. That's We're doing right. it as a size. It's different. That's true. <laughs> it's it's very on your nose. This this track is very on your Wait, nose. Wait, it's on as, my nose. It's in it's on everybody's nose. It's it's so upfront yeah, yeah. with just being. Remember me fondly. That's that's the summation of the entire track. Remember yeah. me fondly. Don't it's, hate me. I guess in some ways, but it doesn't even feel like it's that emotional. It's just don't dislike me that much. I mean, <laughs> instrumentally, I like that. Like I said before, the hollowness in the choruses, but also synth work comes in that kind of feels warbly and, and techy and it, it bleeds over itself we get you know a, a really interesting instrumental interlude that one synth from the interlude bleeds back into the synth that was in the choruses and I like that crossover you know yeah. we haven't got a lot of in your face synth and this wasn't even that in your face it was just apparent and got to breathe and I liked the kind of drones that overlapped it made for an interesting tone I think we also had another firm tempo change in the mm -hmm. bridge as well um, nice little thump in the background with a little twinkling piano, which is nice was, to hear something a little more. It was it was only there. like half a twinkle. It was just like one key. It was very it was very light, very very yeah. very dainty. It was twinkle esque. And then uh, and then the words: those thoughts of past lovers, they'll always haunt me. I wish I could believe you'd never wrong me. Then will you remember me in the same way as I remember you? And not right as he says, then will you remember me as I remember you? That 
It's almost like he's staring up to the moon there. Yeah. That was a really sweet moment. I remember that distinctly in the music. It, it stood out above, frankly, maybe the rest of this song. I mean, electronica and, and twinkling piano notwithstanding. <laughs> Sometimes you just want that moment. Well, sure. And the idea of when dealing with a breakup, this idea that especially if you were hurt, you might remember them more fondly because you almost fantasize or over-fantasize the relationship and the person. I mean, everyone looks back on an ex at least and goes... Those were good times. I miss those moments. Maybe not that person, but definitely those moments. Yeah, and you're probably remembering like one day amidst a lot of shitty days. Sure, probably. But it's very typical for the human condition to do that, to yeah. kind of build up the good it, over it's the a, bad. It's a, I think it's a defense mechanism because uh, it's not really healthy to take a lot of uh, bad shit through the rest of your life. That's also um, true. It, unless you're learning from it. So yeah, that's a that was a sweet song. Yeah, it, um, it, I like I like the emotional it conveyed, especially compared to a lot of the other fleeting kind of or frivolous more uh, earlier tracks. I think that this one was one of the more grounded tracks, and it felt the most real. I guess you know I don't like to throw that word around, but it, you know it, it felt sincere. I had a same similar experience with uh, last week's album because it got more real as the album went on. In Very the beginning, true. you don't quite know how to where to place it. Um, and we land at the last track here, track 11, Impossible Year. This song is the embodiment of a cliche we talk about over and over again. Not only do we get a piano in an auditorium, but we get a croon crooning vocal over it, like, you know, in songs we'd gotten earlier, like A Death, Death of a Bachelor, the, the title track. It's just, look, he's a great singer, the song is pretty, but it just was bleeding cliche to me that it kind of got on my nerves. Truthfully, I think that House of Memories might have been a nicer end just because it felt so unique. This outro just feels so on the nose that even though he's showcasing a ton of talent in the vocal delivery as a whole, the song just doesn't do it for me. I just don't like it Well, not to parallel last week's review too much, considering we did, I think, pretty have much pretty much the same, the same thing, exact yeah. thing, where we were like, were we satisfied with the second to last track? The penultimate, ah, oh, you made me feel it. The and then the last one was like, eh, too much. The major difference is we are sans one beautiful woman adding her opinion, whereas this week True. we That's just have three beautiful just, men. <laughs> beautiful men. Really, we had them. But this thing is a little different because I yeah. am inclined to disagree with you just a bit. Okay. I thought that Impossible Year was actually, even though it has, I have some issues with it, I think it did add something that wouldn't have been thoroughly stated in track 10. I thought track 10 was just okay and it gave me little glimpses. At least this time he immersed himself completely. That's the reverse from last week. I think mm -hmm. he, uh, uh, Diane Ward was more immersed in the penultimate track. Here, um, let me just read the lyrics and then I'll say a bit about the music. There's no sunshine this impossible year, only black days and sky gray, and clouds full of fear and storms full of sorrow that won't disappear, just typhoons and monsoons this impossible year. There's no good times this impossible year, just a beachfront of bad blood and a coast that's unclear. All the guests at the party, they're, they're so insincere, they just intrude and exclude this impossible year. There's no you and me this impossible year, only heartache and heartbreak and gin made of tears. The bitter pill is swallowed, the scar's souvenir, that tattoo, your last bruise, this impossible year. There's never air to breathe, there's never in-betweens, these nightmares always hang on past the dream. There's no sunshine, there's no you and me, there's no good times, this impossible year. I, I grew like out, it. okay, yeah, I grew out of sidewalk ends like a decade and a half ago. 
This is this is some of the most rigid poetry we've heard in a very long time. Okay, I understand your beef with it, yeah. but I am going to say that it is a little bit bolstered by the singing. And I came full circle on this because it, it, initially, yes, yes and it, it was bolstered by the singing. But well, let me just say there's one thing about the singing. Um, then you could talk about the poetry because I think I know what you're going to say. But musically, I think that in the beginning it did come across as a little bit of the fake crooner, like the he's dipping back to this and he's not quite pulling it off to the extent that he did in in a couple of those middle tracks where we were in full blown lounge and swing territory. This time, he's going into it and he's putting it on. He's It's like when Jerry Lewis becomes the, the other guy. Um, he's not he's not the professor anymore. Now he's suave and, and there's always a bit of comedy in that because you know what you just heard. And I think that's the way the beginning of this uh, started sounding to me. There's no sunshine. It's very, it's, it's very laid thick. But then later on, deeper into this track, he starts going through a solid minute where he's just in a zone and I'm completely whisked away by this. I thought he was pulling it off and frankly, the way he sings can cover up uh, the poetry in question. Or rather, the meter that I think is what you like least. It's the rigidity of it. It's not even just the meter because he breaks away from some of his syllable work and everything like that to add a little bit here, take a little bit there. But when you have very rigid poetic prose, it's you have to do more to really reach the depth of it, to reach to reach me on a, on a very emotional level. We start talking about some of the more... Uh, the more defined poetry of, of the greats like Frost. Like, I don't understand and enjoy a lot of Robert Frost because it, it takes him a while to really go into some of the depths and to really some of the insights that he gets to. And here, I'm not getting any insight. I'm not really getting any of, of the context that can offset this, this very formulaic setup. I will say, though, that his vocal delivery does dilute the emotional impact and that's kind of a good thing and what i mean by that is the lyrics are unbelievably bleak like, yes really bleak but the delivery is not that lounge croon crooning lounge singer that lounge singer crooning is very much you know a wink and a point you know it feels very approachable and very sweet and so it kind of declaws the the bleakness of this. But that's what I like about it. Yeah. And I think that's what I'm saying. I think I'm you agreeing. couldn't really do that, uh, for instance, if these lyrics were if, if the meter were in any other way. Because yeah. they kind of uh, you you consider it rigid, John, but I think that really well, it comes back just, like when he returns that. to that mantra of this impossible it's, year. It's not just the rigidity, it's the language actually being used. He's got a homonym dictionary. He doesn't have a synonym dictionary. He's he's very simplistic and oh. bare bones. No that is that's a big issue there's there's just no death only heartache and heartbreak i mean a lot of these lines are themselves tropes used in television in movies in music just to get across very but basic back ideas what, back to what matt said i think that's why it works because the whole wink and a nod thing i hear that that's what a lounge singer would probably do he'd try to bring you into it not that there's this this this, this shield between uh you the stage in a lounge and the audience because a lounge is a lounge it's supposed to be intimate like there is no barrier there whatsoever so it's kind of cheeky the entire thing is meant to be cheeky and that's where it truly loses me. The, it, <laughs> the intimacy of a cheeky kind of a song, a cheeky kind of an idea, doesn't doesn't work in my eyes. It not in this case because well, that's lounge music for you. Well, and it's a lounge lot of music, what people did back in the day. But when you go to the serious side, the cheekiness doesn't really become a forefront idea. Yeah, it might might throw in some lines there. But when you get personal, get personal. Don't try to sing for everyone on something like this. This could have been a 
personal song. If I had to a pick a really word to define the Rat Pack, I'd say cheeky. Yeah, and honestly, like I have to agree with Steve here. I don't think that was ever the intention. Based on the cheekiness that comes up here and there throughout the whole album, I can't imagine if this if this ending was completely sincere, it might have felt less sincere as a result. Yeah. And I think that's where Steve turns me on this track. Even though I didn't love it as much as I just enjoyed House of Memories, I feel like here it does fit the structure and setup for this record. I guess at the end of the day, I, I just miss a little bit of the personality in this album as a whole because it's cheeky throughout. There's a, there's like, even when he's going full lounge, full swing, it, it's, it's still like a little bit of a grin on his face. Like it's, there's just a little bit of, of the devil's advocate showing up in this album. A little bit of, you know, I'm not a hundred percent serious going and that I think maybe owing clearly to the fact that we know it's panic. And I think well, a lot no. of it could be driven by no, that. No, it's just, I guess maybe some of the lilt. I'm not super impressed with the vocals. I Yeah, he's got good vocal work, but we've talked about much better vocalists on this show, and there are many much better vocalists. He's, he's top tier. He's just not, you know, top 1%. And for so long and for so much, especially in the beginning of this album, it's almost comical. It's almost there. It's It's very much satirical in a lot of the things that are being delivered so it just I can't get away from that when you take that when you add in really just serviceable music very basic music I mean nothing is wowing there, there are a brief brief moments but they are legitimate moments not like the elongated moments I love in so many other songs and so many other albums they are just instances I'm enjoying there's there's enjoyment here I guess I guess that at the end of the day, this this album really is just enjoyable on the superficial level for me. There's so many little tidbit problems I got going on that I just can't I can't see it being a grander piece than than a sort of romantic comedy love story all said and done. And rom coms are not, in my eyes, very often high art. And this isn't really a very high album for me. So. Three. It's just a straight up three. I'm not seeing anything to push it up and I'm not seeing anything dragging it down. It's it's just there. Um Right. Matt Matt goes last, of course. Uh I took the bullet on this one because I knew you you always go first and one of us had to. Let's see. This album is really weird. I mean Alright, fine. We have weirder albums, let's face it, but it's weird in a particular sense. It's weird because it has some tracks, and I mean like three. I mean like three tracks that they don't just feel like they don't belong on this album because they're different genres. They feel like they don't belong on this album because they're extravagant. Um, they're they're out of this world. They have amazing arrangements. They clearly spent a lot of time on this in, in, in production. and And maybe on the face of it, uh, the lead singer of Panic, Brendan Urie, he's not who you'd think would be the prime candidate for this kind of genre. Um, speaking of the lounge swing style songs, of which, again, we have about three. Um, lesser degrees on other tracks. But I do think that that's a, just a misconception. That, that, that Brendan Urie can probably put, can probably do whatever he puts his mind to, considering I already knew that as early as The Young Veins. Um, I just think he's uh, sometimes feels a little bit hesitant about going 
all out with something because if this were in in if the entire album were were uh, swing and lounge tracks, then people would probably protest. Oh well, where's Panic at the Disco? This is a nice little project, but you can't do it under the Panic at the Disco name, which means that maybe. Uh, if, if the only thing I can discern from that that track that was all about his his art, uh, crazy equal genius, that maybe that's what he wants to do. That he wants to do all these different kinds of things. Um, and it's just another aspect of him that he felt the need to kind of throw in here. But Panic at the Disco, you have to remember, is is pretty much just him at this point. I mean, all these past members uh, that we used to associate as members of Panic at the Disco, the band, they're kind of just touring members now. They help him do the music that he wants to do, and it doesn't sound like they did really much of the writing. Uh, you look at the last two-thirds, last three-quarters of this album, it's all Brendan Urie. This is practically a solo work with just a lot of help, which is what most solo works are. So what you're getting is this kind of smattering of one guy's ideas that are not beholden to a larger group. And I'm inclined to give it a pass on that alone because it means that we could be getting more interesting things in the future but on the, on this album as a a kind of I don't want to call it a quote unquote debut because it's still Panic at the Disco it's still, it still shows the marks of a band that's been around for the better part of a decade I, I, I do want to at least say it's in a better place because it experiments but I really have a hard time saying what the what the core of this album is. What is it? Where where is its soul? The best I can figure is it is the swing and lounge tracks because they're my favorite. They're clearly the most elaborate, and they're the ones on this album that he owns. He doesn't own the tracks that are merely rock, that are merely pop rock. Those tracks are forgettable as hell. I mean, I hate to say so, but it's I I I've heard better pop rock tracks from previous Panic at the Disco. From that perspective, this album has taken a dip. Um, but the other stuff, I think that's what he, he to me that's what he needs to do is explore those new genres and maybe go full force with them. Uh, either that or create an entirely new sound. So I'm kind of in the similar ballpark as John because. This just, I, I can't imagine myself going back to this on a full album scale. The the overall experience of it front to back would be very, I'd be doing a lot of waiting, you know? Get me to that those lounge tracks. I'm pulling those three tracks, essentially, from this album. They're, they are on a whole nother league, and they will serve as um, an, a strong enough benefit of the doubt to push me beyond John's three and up to, I'd say, I'd say a 3.25. The first thing I want to say is, as someone who didn't know the band's discography and only knew a, a single, and I don't even know if Nine in the Afternoon was a single. It might have just been on Rock Band and just a song they did. But uh, I can safely say after hearing this record, I am excited to see them live, especially those tracks Steve mentioned. But the album as a whole will be fun to hear live. Even the kind of predictable pop tracks will still be energizing and fun to hear in a live environment, and I'm looking forward to that. It's nice to find an album that I gel with enough at least that I don't hate myself for liking it you know my problem with a couple of the songs that would get stuck in my head from the fallout boy record is uh I hated myself after listening to them and most people hated me because then I would play it for them and it would get stuck in their head this album at least I feel has more bones to it and uh I, I liked it you know I don't I don't think I have as harsh of issues with the album on a whole as John and Steve did. I will, however, agree 
wholeheartedly with Steve that this album doesn't know what it wants to be. It has no core. Like, at least the core of Fallout Boy, although it didn't save it, is that it wanted to be shitty pop rock. And that's all it really was. Here, he dabbles and dives. And I'm not willing to hurt him for that either, though, because I think it's undeniable that Brendan has a talent and that he's going to go at some point, I imagine, in the vein of your Trent Reznor's and the like, as far as at least showcasing what he can do on his own. Um, because that's essentially what we described is exactly what Trent Reznor does. He writes, creates, produces, and plays all of his music on the albums and then goes out with a live band that he credits on all of his albums as who he plays with live, which I imagine Brendan does the same. Um, you know, and I don't know if their earlier albums, he did all the writing. He might have for those too. He just had a studio band that was the band, but he might have done all the writing then too. Um, if you know that, please comment and yell at us that we were wrong and tell us. But um, Yeah, I'll scream. Whatever you got to do. But I think that I am more forgiving of the record because I did have some fun with it. And I didn't get as graded. But that said, it's still... It's not an upper echelon band, not by a long shot. You know, I'm still infatuated with what we got from Donker Mag last week. And um, I think that's going to be a competitor for some stuff at the end of this year because I just really dug a lot of the interesting things on that. But I will say that this was a fun record and I'm excited to see it live. That said, my final rating on it, though, a little more favorable than Steve's is a, a 3.5. I think that, you know... It's you know a little bit better than average, and it 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 proves to have potential. So that's why I'm letting it sit pretty at a three point five, and I will listen to it again because it's it's digestible pop with at least some other things that make it a little more interesting. Yeah, I there's only one thing that I wish I had incorporated, and maybe that's his singing. His singing yeah. is still pretty spectacular throughout. Yeah. Um, all right, I changed my rating. I'm a three point four. 3.4. I can't do 3.5. I'm at 3.4. Fine. But his singing is 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 phenomenal. It's just yeah. I wish it was built around something more cohesive. He's he's a he's an extreme talent when it comes to his vocals. So, yeah, yeah, 3.4. <laughs> right. Well, I don't know if I've ever given that rating before. I don't know. We don't tend I to get imagine. too picky when we get lower because it's like it's easier to round in the yeah. in the middle ratings and the lower ratings. But you know, gotta factor in every aspect of the music as possible. Uh, and there's one aspect, in fact, that I think uh, we we didn't really we didn't cover too much, but we covered it whenever it came up. Uh, for instance, the fact that we like to see new things in music. We yeah. like to see things that, if even if they're not new on the grander scale of of uh, the pantheon of music, as we always call it, no billboard lighting, uh, yeah, and everything like that, yeah, none of that. But but like at least new uh, within the confines of the album that was an important issue today even if we didn't say it it was pretty apparent obviously when our our eyes are, are are lit up by this thing that was so different from the the blandness or the perceived blandness of the previous track then we we just were craving more of it we want to talk about it because it's 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 like an it's like an opium for your ears or something like that it, it's it's we we always crave newness it seems and i'm starting to wonder almost a little crisis of criticism as it were whether that is really the core of what criticism is period um when you read a lot of of articles online about album reviews about classical live classical reviews you're always looking for something that is fresh very rarely do you see something that applauds 
It's not entirely true, but very rarely do you see something that completely 100% applauds something for staying true to the original. Like if it were a classical concert, um, unless it was some kind of project where uh, you're using period instruments and everything. Ah, yes, this sounds exactly like people would have heard it back in the day. But even then, that's probably only important because it's new to us as listeners. Because we often don't get things the way it was heard back in the day. So even that, ironically enough, is a form of newness. Is that it? Is that everything? And all this stuff is just icing on the cake? I mean, we've dabbled in that a little bit. When we've talked about covers, we always talked about covers that are true to the original versus covers that do something different and that both can be good for different reasons. I think on a grander scale, you know, a lot of this, like for me, I rated my album of the year last year was Black Violin because it was so different. But does that mean the other stuff that was really good that I really liked, like your St. Vincent's and some other stuff that fit within a form but are still really good, are they less good? Like Owen Paulette the year before that, I also was my album of the year, and he was he was sort of different, but he was working within a, comp- a comp- composition that we've heard before in places and compared it to. So why, why did I rate them both as my album of the years? And I think it's, for me, it's newness as well as engagement. And I think that if the newness doesn't really engage me or if the newness falls into avant-garde, maybe me personally, I lose a little bit of it. I don't know. Well, that's a good point. And I want to get back to that in a second. But just because you brought up Black uh, Black Violin, that's an interesting point because you did give that album a five. It Uh was completely new to you. Um, But... Even then, we a lot of the debates we were having that day were with were about degrees of newness because right. even then that was new for being a fusion because it brought together classical and hip hop. But I remember not quite giving it a five because I still found that individually those two components are not necessarily new. It was almost an intuitive collaboration that was inevitable, and I still like what they did. But I still gave it an exceptionally high rating, but just not like a. a perfect perfection right. because it was not wholly new to me. It, it pulled from a lot of things that I was already familiar with so it's a valid comparison. Well, one of my like tenets of how I, I reach a five-star album or how I reach a very high upper echelon album rating is that it pushes music in a direction I want music to go. And that that does imply newness. It But it only yeah. implies it. If someone is just being the best of punk rock of all time, that is the direction that punk rock itself can go, and that can be a five. It doesn't have to be the new of new. It doesn't have to integrate brand new sounds into old school genres or just create a new genre, attempt something like that. New, new is a hard word to define. Like, how can you describe something as new? Like you said yourself, hip hop and classical are not new. And when you put them together, yeah, it sounds different. Yeah. And it can sound actually new, but it really at its core is just two ideas that have been around. When you when I start talking about the actual five stars I've handed out, which the, the, the in retrospect, God Sticks, The Heist, or FFS, like, None of those guys actually did quote-unquote new things. They just did the best in a specific style. Mm -hmm. And I do applaud uh, artists that do that, that can really hone down uh, a specific style because mainly because I think it it, it speaks to um, effort on their part, and I can see it plainly in the work. I can see plainly that that these artists have have taken something that is common to a lot of artists, 
but they are owning it every step of the way. They're aware of all the of all the moments in which the the, the track could fall uh, below the wayside, could fall behind, could could pull a cliche, and they're aware of it. So so as to keep the track fresh on a moment to moment basis. But that, in a sense, is doing something new because if you can only say academically speaking, oh well, the the general sound of this band or the genre they're pursuing, that's something that is familiar. But they're doing, they clearly must be doing new things with that genre in order to arrive at a position where we can say this is the best of the best. I feel that comes out of newness. Let's talk about something John brought up and then kind of blitzed past. Like, yeah. define new. What does new mean? Because even though classical and hip hop are not new, if I've never heard hip hop before, it's new, new to me. To you. That's what new means, you know. And I think that looking at stuff also through that lens, that if it's new to you, you might have an astonishment that doesn't measure up with music at large. And that's kind of how I mostly rate frequently is sometimes if it's new to me and I'm awestruck by it and I think it has potential to drive music forward in an interesting way, even if the some of you know the parts of this whole aren't particularly brand new, I think that kind of affects it as well. But then we're only talking about degrees of newness again. I know. Well, it's, 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 a, it's an abstract f- question, I know. In, in a lot of ways, it could just be the distillation of the ideas that are being presented in the music. Like, okay, at the end of the day, is this artist actually trying something? And I don't mean just trying something new. I mean trying something. Are they trying to express a instrument in a different way or are they trying to just exemplify said instrument or are they working primarily with the lyrics and just trying to get the language itself right and the pacing itself right and the vocals itself right like are these separate components coming together in such a way as to feel fresh to well, feel that's interesting new. because you're suggesting that maybe well it could it could perhaps uh, throw off our, our our rating system but you know it's really more about this discussion than anything else so the rating shouldn't take it too seriously but like based on what you just suggested um if you see the effort in the work that maybe that could be potentially more important than whatever you perceive as being new that it's more important to say well at least they clearly tried to do something new even if it is not entirely new to you that you should be braiding more on the effort than the freshness of the work yes and no okay i want the the but that is a good argument to what makes a better quality of music but at the same time that's not the be all end all you still actually it's not just effort you still have to have innate talent to do something like that yeah like, like as as there's as definitely as, i'm sure there's many a, a, a local a local garage band that tried really really hard to put out that first demo yeah but if you but have can vocals, you give it a five can you, you can't, really you can't there's only so far you can push vocals or finger picking skills or just yeah. a drummer's ability to keep tempo and to improvise on the fly or a, an understanding of uh, the the actual computer program to create electronica. But then that implies that there is some sort of objective line that everyone is just always aware of at all well, times. certain things, that, yeah. That beyond which it is good and below which it is subpar. I love vocals. I love vocalists that have quality, but some people just cannot get to the top level. Not without computer-assisted work and not not never naturally i mean it's it's well do some not people do have. not cannot is always a matter of debate a lot of people have sometimes i'm sure have proven a lot of others wrong uh and, and can probably work at something their entire life and can eventually get there it's just do they or do they not 
Well, I think something to be careful about also here is artists who are not the best doesn't mean they're bad. Language that we're using could kind of lead people to believe that no, we're no, saying no. if There's you're absolutes. not the best. No, but if you're not the best singer ever, which is Freddie Mercury and there's no one better, uh, just throwing that in there. According to Matt. Um, See, absolutes. If you're not Freddie Mercury, it doesn't mean you're bad. It just means you're not the best in this example, this specific example. And, and so I think we should stay away from that too. I think... It, it, well, even that has context. Like vocalists have context. Certain types of vocalists will work better in different settings. Like, well... Panic, honestly, I think his vocals probably worked best in a crooner setting. I mean, they were they were magical there. When he was working in his the, the more panic style, the more familiar style, I was less impressed because it just seems like there was a, a specific timbre that he was just presenting in, in that lounge and swing and everything like that that felt different, that felt yeah. unique, that felt like it had a wow factor that wasn't really there with the pop rock. It's also possible that quality really comes out more of knowing yourself. Uh, in other words, writing, if you are a a singer at a certain level, maybe not the best of the best, then write melodies that are really suited to you. That exactly. make it, right. well, that make it new. I mean, for instance, since you brought up Freddie Mercury, it's not just Freddie Mercury's vocals, sure. period, that are doing it. It's the fact that he wrote melodies that really catered to his vocals, that, that, that exercised them in a way. And then we step back and say, oh, well, that's a pretty extreme job you just did there, uh, Freddie Mercury. But I don't know, could could he do opera? I don't know. It seems like he could. But, I'd like to say but for the could record, he, really? he could. And then, but then I'd propose something else. Could could a singer like Matt Bellamy, who you did not say was the best singer of all time, because you gave me the absolute of Freddie Mercury after all, could he do an entire album of Queen covers? Now, we know that we've compared the, him yeah. at times and his songwriting style similar, to Queen. Similar, but not the same. Similar, but not the same. But who knows? Because we've compared his vocals so frequently, who, he could just he could do that album and he could do a bunch of Queen covers and maybe he'd blow your mind maybe. with how much he he ends up being like Freddie Mercury or potentially exceeding Freddie Mercury. You don't know. You don't want to admit that, do you? Because you just gave me an absolute. Well, I guess we'll never know because he hasn't done that. He hasn't done that. Um, I, I I challenge you, Matt. I think <laughs> Bellamy. <laughs> I think I think the um the thing to focus on here with newness as this conversation started is that. Newness is dynamic, and I think there's no right answer. Essentially, it's it's perspective, it's it's place, it's environment, it's structure. I think it's a lot of things, and I think this this idea of just new is not enough. It's new and it um, has to be new and new and original, new and the exemplary reason to make this style of music, new and the best it can possibly be of this style. Or, in fact, take out the word new. Maybe it's just got to be original, or it's got to be dynamic, that's, that's or it's got to be no, it's no. a placeholder, and you know it. No, fresh not, or original not quote or whatever. unquote new. Like new, it's like the future. It's the new. No, well, the actually, best idea. I, I'm sticking with original. new because new is just as broad as I want it to be. And like the reason I brought this up is because new can mean new but, for music or new for what the artist is doing, and it always seems to come down to that in the end as we make our, our little rating adjustments yeah. and things please us more. 
But new does means original, but it also means a bunch of other things that don't imply originality. That it, it, we just discussed, like it could imply that it's the best of the best. It's the best of that style. It's the best of that idea. Well, it also implies something the else. The best love story. It's the best whatever. It implies something else, and Matt brought that in the very beginning. Um, although, very quickly, I do want to uh, mark, mark on what you just said about perspective. Perspective is, is, I think, key, and I think it does suggest that whenever anyone sits around and judges an artist, it's, a, it's about their own experiences with that type of art Absolutely. and the various layers that have built up in their brain leading up and then someone listens to that and it's like oh you you elitists well it's because maybe they didn't hear what we heard and even that sounds like I'm talking down to you no it's not I would very much like someone who's into a certain type of artist to hear those others just so I could put that to the test I would love to see whether just from a scientific standpoint from a neurological standpoint this kind of thing can actually be tested had you heard this would you have liked that uh, case in point Mark H's comment on FFS and the fact that he had heard the track collaborations don't work before he had heard the rest of 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 that album and we thought that that was the culmination that it just it, it, it blew our mind because collaborations don't work was unlike anything we had expected to come out of that album say for instance you were only judging it from the first two tracks and it was this all rise nature but if you knew that and that was your new peak then maybe it would just it would just fizzle on us and we would think that the last outro was they plateaued and it was a good album but not the the greatness that we had perceived i would love to have uh had another alternate timeline where we actually you know ran that little test but here's the thing that i was going to bring up uh which in fact you were going to bring up matt in the very beginning of this discussion and that was avant-garde the idea that maybe newness is not always so good and i think that's the the strongest argument against it is that if it is so new and so out of left field that it is evading you, that it feels like it's not even attempting to create some common thread with you, then, oddly enough, it, it blows this whole discussion out of the water. It, it, it New is not just bad, but it's reprehensible to many people. I guess, People yeah, turn but- it off. They but, hate it. But I don't want to put a damper on avant-garde either because there's plenty of avant-garde work that is intriguing. I'm just, I'm just saying the way some people extreme, experience yeah. it. Yeah. I, I, in fact, I'll give you some context in which I have really grown to love uh, certain pieces of avant-garde music. Um, I'm really into the show Louis right now. Any fans of Louis C.K. out there, I'm becoming a big, big fan of Louis C.K. Um, his comedy is pretty interesting to me, but it's not just about that. It really has to do more about the art that surrounds it. So the show Louis... Has a pretty interesting soundtrack, and uh, I'm only like in the first couple seasons here. But early on, there's a lot of avant-garde jazz that get, gets used in the background to accompany his his very oddball and often very uncomfortable scenarios. Uh, not something I see in comedy a lot. Normally, comedy is either going to be uh, without music entirely, or it's going to be the goofy theme that they always keep going back to. But it sounds like they have a little avant-garde chamber uh, chamber classical ensemble off to the side that accompanies music, as well as an avant-garde uh, jazz ensemble. Um, and they use them interchangeably as various episodes go on. And I find that in the context of the scenario, the music works. And I don't know how I would think uh, about the music if I had heard it separately from the right. show, but I do know that there's a marriage there which is, to me, new. Yeah. And it's it's visceral. I think that uh, wholly... 
you can't rate, but and we've discussed this before. You can't rate based on one thing. And if we just talk about new and newness by itself, it leaves us with the same thing. The word "nice" means that's nice. Yeah, it how becomes nice? Just as, it becomes well, land. It, yeah, yeah, it becomes nothing. So, I think that truthfully, when you're listening to music, is what does new mean to you? What what consists of new? And what is new to you? I think that's the kind of things you want to look at when, and the kind of lens you're using when you're analyzing music. And maybe to some people, the the little thread that we put on here is like, oh, well, it's new for the album. Maybe that wouldn't mean very much to a lot of people. I don't care if it's new for the album. It's still not anything I'd go back to. Right. Maybe they would have that, that sensation about it. I'm inclined to give albums the benefit of the doubt for that reason, but not everyone is. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, <laughs> before we uh, call it a day, um, after that very percussive period at the end of the sentence, um, John has a, a pick for this week, but first, I'm going to read a comment this week. Yes, you had a little comment exchange, in fact, on your uh, your autographs episode. I believe it was episode 29, where you interviewed uh, Matt Mattingly, uh, Paul Donnelly. Yeah, it's Matt, Matt Donnelly. Matt Donnelly, Paul Mattingly. Yes. It's because of the title of their show, Matt it's, Mattingly. It's Matt Mattingly's Ice Cream Social. I met them on my honeymoon. Um, it was them and their audio guy, Jacob, as well as some of lis- the listeners from the podcast and Jacob's wife, SJ. Um, and we got to record an episode of theirs in our room for the Ice Cream Social, which is up that both me and my wife, Sarah, are featured on, as well as an episode of autographs that they used their equipment to record and then sent to me later. And um, very recently, uh, Crash Chords, if you're following us on any of the social medias, we created a Instagram. Now that Instagram allows you to switch between accounts without logging out uh, technology. And so I <laughs> backlogged all of our podcast episodes for both podcasts. Just because. Because, why not? And I was going to do it with the articles, and then I decided it was too much. Maybe in the future. But because of that, I recently reposted that episode, and when Matt Donnelly saw it went up, he's like, oh, send me the link again, I'll share it again. And he did, and it brought in some new listeners, and one of those listeners is a regular listener to uh, ICS, that's shorthand for Ice Cream Social. Uh, um, I didn't get that. Um, I explained thank you. it just for you, John. Thank you. Um, uh, Scoopo Steve, who is a regular listener and often writes scoop mail to the uh, Ice Cream Social podcast, and he commented on that episode. And his comment goes as follows. Great show, guys. A bit surprised on Jacob's Led Zeppelin thing, which is that he really likes Led Zeppelin, which I am not terribly a fan of. And uh, that came up conversation. You don't get it. Don't get it. <laughs> and he also said, then continues, I'm with Matt, the host, that's me, uh, on the on that one. Actually, I'm also a lot closer to Pete Townsend on that one, and, uh, LOL, and I've been listening to a good bit of Queen lately too because I explained that I'm not a huge fan of Robert Plant or Led Zeppelin. I think Queen is the best rock band to ever live, and Freddie Mercury is one of the best singers to ever live. That came up oh, on the Oh, he's already rescinding John's his previous... right. You don't get it. <laughs> he, he's rescinding his previous statement. He, he, he said it was the be-all, end-all, Freddie. Oh, look at that. Oh, look at that. I did he's say already... Freddie. No, you said one of. you already quantifying it. Uh, <laughs> and I left... See, we do these conversations for a reason. Mm-hmm. Right, Just obviously. him going forward. But it was nice to have someone agree with me on Led Zeppelin, because most people look at me like I'm crazy. Um, I am right now. And I'm really glad you enjoyed this show. I uh, did respond saying, thanks, Kupo Steve. It's not often I find someone who agrees with me on that, uh, referring to the Led Zeppelin thing. I had a blast chatting with the ICS crew, and it made me a full-fledged scoop. It made a full-fledged scoop out of me. I listen every week now. I even have a scoop name, which is Scoop Mageddon, a play on my burlesque name, and a play on my last name, Storm, and Stormageddon. And uh, he responded 
responded, ah, so that's why I'm following you on Twitter, Scoop Mageddon. I am Australian Anarchy, which I do remember that Twitter um, name. We have had exchanges before. I'm glad that you enjoyed this episode. I'm, I hope that um, you listen to other either autographs episodes and, of course, this show as well. If you tune in, um, we do a lot of great music reviews. So if you're listening now, Scoopo Steve, thank you for listening. And, and I respectfully welcome, yes. disagree with your views on Led Zeppelin. No, well, no. I, I, hey, this is we all had a cross-the-board agreement last week that it's porn music. Or stripper music specifically. Oh, I do agree yeah. with that. Yeah. Yeah, but but if that's the that. case, then yeah, they seriously. are a whole new world of quality porn music. Yeah, well, I mean, that's true. And and there's no you can't you, it can't be just like Queen only. I mean, there's Queen plus. Yeah, you can have Queen plus the Beatles plus yeah. the Doors. I mean, there's all different reasons. For Don't get me started on the Doors. He What's was wrong flawless. with the Doors? He wasn't flawless. Jim Morrison was not flawless. No, he was a terrible vocalist who wrote not the best music in the world, but a poet. Oh my God! Was he a poet? We 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 could get sidetracked for hours. John, why don't you tell us what we're doing next week? Well, this one is kind of a shot in the dark. I did a little bit of previewing, and mostly I saw the tagline of psychedelic rock. It's been so long since I've had psychedelic rock, and it's an incredibly new album. I believe only came out this past week, as of us recording right now. Heron Oblivion and their debut self-titled album, Heron Oblivion. Um, I'm liking this. It's been a while since I've really gone into blind on one of my own picks because I, I always have a relationship with bands. But this band, uh, it's a four-piece band, two guitars, a bassist, and a drummer who I believe is also the main vocalist, which is hard to do. <laughs> People have done it. Yeah, I know. But main vocalist, drummer, that's a, that's a real it's a hell of a set of lungs. But it's it's something old school that, that's... I'm making a resurgence. I'm I'm seeing things like post punk popping up. So seeing psychedelic rock again, uh, who knows? Last time we've done psychedelic rock probably was when I brought on Full Metal Jack by Osmitantes in oh, episode boy. 79, yeah, which makes ago. that Two years? 107 episodes ago. Two years. No, 106 episodes again ago. So yeah, yeah. that's two years and six weeks. Um, I will say I like when we bring debut albums because then we don't have to worry about that. Oh, well, I don't know that discography BS. We can just go, well, this is new. Let's see what's up. Yeah, oh, yeah. there's that word again. Though, though yeah. every single band member is from like one or two or three or four other bands as it is. So we'll see well, what I, happens. That seems to be the case these days. I mean, Robert, when he was on, he's on like 10 bands. You yeah. Know? So anyway, um, so look forward to that next week. Thanks again, Scoopo Steve. Spread the word. Um, I do want to say there's this thing the ICS does where they don't have a pyramid scheme because those suck and they're terrible. They have an obelisk scheme. Instead, tell one person. Just go and tell <laughs> one person about the show so you're not annoying. And so I would like to extend that to our audience as well. I like that. I'm going to use that. Feel free to continue to perpetuate the obelisk scheme. They're more phallic anyway. I they like are them. more phallic. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that's how it came up. I like that they're upfront with it too. Yeah, because oh, who who who's actually doing a pyramid scheme and says it's a pyramid scheme? <laughs> right, of course. <laughs> You're um, the guy that's like. Five, ten, fifteen rows down. There's not going to be many rows underneath you. You're not going to get no. So if you're listening right <laughs> now, get money. Tell one selling. other person about us. Thank you. And uh, on that note, we will sign off. And remember, music is life, and, and life, life is, is good. good. If you enjoyed this and other album analyses, topics, and guests, please subscribe to the Crash Chords Podcast on iTunes, where you can also rate us and review us. For more media, also subscribe to Matt's one-on-one interview series, Crash Chords Autographs. 
To receive emails on all new content, subscribe at the top of our homepage. Also receive updates by liking us on Facebook, following us on Twitter at Crash Course Web, our Tumblr, and our YouTube channel. And remember, keep the discussion going, because music is life, and life is good. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to share them in the comment board below each post. Otherwise, email us directly at admin at crashchords.com.